Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Spooky Stacks. Uh, this is Jay. And I'm Shanna. And I'm Shanna's twin. Show no. Guess which Ooh. one of us is evil and which one of us is just normally mentally ill. I mean, it depends which movie we're starting with, because uh, my recollection is that they're both evil in this first one. Uh, they, they both got issues in... So we're doing every movie that we did this week is happens to have twins in it, and they all have issues. Yes, this is Twins Week on this on the Spooky Stacks, uh, starting with uh, Gemini, continuing our work through uh, Shinya Tsukamoto. Uh, this is his film from 1999. Uh, it's the one that's not in the uh, uh, Solid Metal Nightmares box in the middle of his career for some reason, which is especially strange watching it in context because it really carries on all the themes or it fits some of them yeah it's stripped down right Mm -hmm. because like it's a lot more colorful than his other stuff but it fits i'd say a very similar color scheme to uh tokyo fist except uh dark instead of light is where like that movie's very bright and urban this is uh pre-urban basically Oh, yeah. I'm actually probably thinking of all the stuff with the slums when I talk about color, because everything else is dark. Well, it's very dark, but there's like two primary colors. You have a lot of orange and you have a lot of blue. So blue at night and orange during the day. Uh, And that's kind of how I recall both Tetsuo 2 and Tokyo Fist in terms of their color scheme to be like very uh, contrasting colors. Mm hmm. Uh, Tokyo Fist for sure. I don't recall Tetsuo 2 as much, but uh, yeah, definitely in Tokyo Fist. And of course, this is carrying on from a lot of their themes, and especially just all of the themes surrounding duality or dualism. Uh, obviously, this is like him just digging into that one subject in his work, uh, because like it, it kind of mirrors the original Tetsuo. It, it kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, with a lot more dialogue and a lot less crazy machine monsterisms. Yeah, I mean, there's still monsters, but it's totally non-urban. Like, you don't have any of the high-rises. You don't have any of the metal. Uh, instead of technology fetishism, you just have illness. Uh, just sort of, like, boiled down to its really fundamental fear of illness instead of fear of whatever other thing the metal fetishist could be. But like, there's always a real sense of disease in that movie. Mm-hmm. Like the, the infectious metal disease. Oh yeah. Actually, I, f- I forgot about how the metal does infect people. And it like moves through your body. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is like a more, I guess, uh, down to earth version of that is in which case in here, the diseases are, actual diseases that we never really see but we know they're there it's some pandemic that was occurring at that time and i'm not really sure which it would have been i'm not clear on the history but this is 1910 uh and it's also very much about rich versus poor oh yes yes (laughs) Uh, in in terms of the duality right Mm -hmm. like the main conflict that the character is going through isn't why has this person imprisoned me at a well it's is this person right that my wife is actually poor? 
Yeah, and there there's this uh, he he's a, he hates the poor. He fears the poor uh, because the poor are diseased. He's got this serious disease anxiety, which is interesting. Rewatching this during the pandemic, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, there's a nature versus nurture thing, obviously, with him and his twin. Uh, whether or not he is his twin or if he is just another aspect of himself, though. I don't know. It does feel like it could be a Fight Club kind of situation does a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, like, they clearly exist as separate beings, but I don't know that they uh, are separate psyches, ultimately. I think they kind of are the same person that just kind of finally merge together at the end or become a different arrangement but we'll obviously have to get there yeah i mean that's that's actually what uh, the main girl uh, that's what the theory that she came to and my first viewing i was like oh wow she has completely misinterpreted everything that's happened and my second time watching i was like oh no she's right i misinterpreted (laughs) yeah so interestingly it opens with imagery of decay you've got that very distinct chanting piece of the score uh, that's just oh, sort of like yeah. a, a high-pitched chant, and you have these rats in filth uh, and with no real context for it. The, the score in this kind of reminds me of Akira. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely has some of that uh, polyphony kind of style to it. Uh, this is Chu Ishikawa again, who's done, I think, all of the Tsukumoto's up to this point, other than Haruko. Oh. Oh, cool. I love the score. This one's really great. I, I really love mm-hmm. it, especially there's that one part where there's uh, detectives going through the house. Oh, yeah. And it's like like fast, like industrial music, even though we're in 1910. And it's got like this. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, it's great. I, I really dig the score to this one. Mm-hmm. I really like how they do like the chorus when they do the chorus, when uh, the bad shit's happening. Yeah, just th- this chanting sound, uh, and and it's it's like clearly sampled voices that are run through effects and stuff. Uh, and so here we have it over the rats and the decay, which is totally out of context here. But we'll learn much much later. We'll see this shot again very quickly uh, as it's run through in the slums. Yeah. So this whole opening shot is just basically like a random puddle that they run past in the slums at one point Um, i i like to think of it as the heart of the slums like this is where they're running through the heart of the slums and this is sort of the central uh the the culminating point of uh yukio's fear oh yeah this is definitely how he like this with the maggots and the rats and the carcass of the dog or whatever it is this is definitely Mm -hmm. how he views the whole slums, everything in there is this. Yeah, it's it's just like this spot of decay that's waiting to pour out into everything around it. Uh, and that's how he views the slums as a whole, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, our protagonist. <laughs> protagonist. He is the protagonist. He's no hero. Uh, Dr. Yukio Daitokuji. Uh, he's he's very well known for a background in combat medicine, uh, and he, he maybe has a bit of PTSD. I think so. Uh, he tries to downplay it in one like brief scene where he's talking to 
this guy who lost an arm, the guy's like, oh, you must have seen so much stuff. And he's like, oh, not as much as you, I bet. But I think he has. Yeah, I think he's seen all of the sort of shit that that guy saw because, like, he was the guy fixing it up. Uh, Yeah. But it's screwed with his head because, like, he he doesn't really – he doesn't examine really what he saw in the war, though, or how it's affected him. No, Uh, clearly not. Maybe he should have. Maybe. Uh, One of the details that I really like is when they go into his office, we see in the ray of sunshine – uh, that he's sitting in that his doctor's coat is really threadbare. Oh yeah. I, th- I just thought that was because it's like an old 1910 coat. And that's just how they did clothes back then. But then I realized, <laughs> um, I no, they had clothing in 1910. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, if it were from 1810, for sure in 1910, it would look pretty shabby, but yeah, it, it's interesting to see that it looks kind of shabby and that, uh, I, I mean, he does seem pretty obsessed with propriety, but it's on his back, so he doesn't see it. I guess, yeah. So, yeah, th- there's the the man missing the arm from the war. I like that shot with, like, the kettle behind him and the steam uh, pouring out r- where the arm should be. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, of course, there's also the boy who is attacked by brats from the slums. Oh, no, but he was just trying to give them candy, you understand. Oh, well, I can take that at face value. Oh, yeah, and and the doctor, he's like, you're very lucky. You could have caught a disease. Yeah, his head wound from, like, the rocks or whatever from the slums could have gotten infected with slumness. <laughs> it could have been, you could have caught the poor. I, and you the could have is... caught the poor. And and the kid is like, man, I don't even care about this. The only reason I came here is because mom wanted to see you. So you're the cool hot doctor that everyone's interested in. This is stupid. And uh, that's the thing. He's like all famous because he's got all these medals for helping generals and soldiers and stuff. German medals. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, is, is uh, this is pre-World cited. War One. Yes. Yes. So, I, so I'm not uh, entirely sure which conflict this is because I am not all that familiar with the history. No, me neither. I should know this, but I don't. Uh, so uh, after this, like, it's an interesting introduction. We, we have an idea of his philosophy on the slums and how, uh, how, how much he just clearly hates the poor, just boldly, in, instantly. Yeah, um, but it just seems like, you know, Regular classism at this point, not uh, true. <laughs> and because like he's a, speaking to a child mm-hmm. about it, uh, he'll go off on like a whole villain rant in a bit. Oh yeah, no, he, how much he hates the slums. Yeah, no, he he feels about the poor people the way uh, uh, Joseph Cotton's uh, killer felt about rich widows. Mm. <laughs> so right. his home life is. Very deep orange gel color when we go there the first time. We meet Rin, uh, his wife, uh, played by Rio, a mononymous actor. You know, someone with just one name. like Oh, like a, like a Beyonce. Yeah. I was so distracted by her wardrobe and her hair. Uh, I was like, I thought she, I know it's like, I know it's like the style of the time, but she really feels like she's out of like the phantom menace or or star trek or something well that's the thing i think she just looks incredibly modern i I think not just 
the way she's made up. It's just her face. She is this incredibly modern looking person. So and, and I think intentionally so in this, she looks completely alien all the time. Mm-hmm. We we see her backstory later and she looks completely different, but still looks like she doesn't quite belong there either. Uh, we, we learn that she has amnesia. And or that, does she? Or does she? That there was some Spoiler sort of, alert. <laughs> there, there was some sort of fire involved, but it's going to be quite a long time before we understand what this fire was he just says in a way that fire brought us together but Which it should have wiped out the slums though that would have been better that would have been better he'll, he'll get to that a little bit later on but oh uh, he, he gets to it right away i think that's a later speech uh that oh, okay. it should have wiped out the slums instead uh oh, maybe. The, okay so first the mom is really spaced out she rin says that she has been saying peculiar things yeah we don't really get to find out what those peculiar things are do we i would have to assume that they have something to do with sutkichi or sutkichi yeah well, to we're gonna have a hard time it's so, it's like it's oh my uh, god no i can't do that sutkichi 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 uh the twin I, I mean we won't hear his name until like an hour into the movie uh but the 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 hidden twin i have to assume that it has something to do with him because i think he's been around for a bit he's clearly been spying on them i got a feeling that he's going full parasite here Mm -hmm. and like living in the walls they reference at one point like something stinks and they find out it's in the wall but they never they never talk about what it is yeah, they, they just find something that's really, really smelly and they can't figure out the source of it. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's definitely hiding in the house. He's he's pulling a Gary Busey hider in the house. Oh, <laughs> that too. Because <laughs> Parasite came after this. Uh, although, oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, of course, Parasite does also deal with some interesting similar themes of economic uh, discrepancy, although there, of course, it's much more closely tied to Korean psyche. Mm-hmm. So the the parents are already like really standoffish. They like they don't like Rin for whatever reason, because you know her background is uncertain. Yeah, she she might not actually be from a rich family. Yeah, I mean they don't know, and they they can never know how they really met. Yeah. Oh, they can't know because because he met her naked in a river. Yeah, she she was just naked by the river, which uh, which at this point, it kind of sounds like it's like, oh, he met a hot girl by the river and he fell in love. But he can't tell her that because the, and I think the real reason he can't tell the parents about that is because the mother actually said you can judge somebody by their clothes. Mm-hmm. And if she's naked, he can't tell that she's any good for him. So maybe that might be the reason that she can't find out about that aspect of how they met well the the clothes thing is very important because uh she next shows up in stolen rich people clothes and that's how she's able to uh get him uh and in a way uh he 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 himself is in stolen rich people clothes there there is uh obviously stikichi's uh whole thing like he he got nothing he he got ousted out of it for no real reason other than his birthmark 
which is a pretty gnarly birthmark, though, to be honest. <laughs> it's gnarly. I mean, it looks like a cool snake tattoo. I thought it was like a tattoo or a branding at first. I didn't. Oh, yeah. I didn't recognize it as a birthmark. Until someone says birthmark, you definitely would want to assume that it's some sort of tattoo, some sort of body art. Uh, this So this is actually one of those movies that makes a lot more sense on a second viewing because there's absolutely there's a lot of stuff that you just miss if you don't know the whole story. Yeah, it's really important to get a couple viewings of this one in. So uh, th- this is where you do kind of get the impression Yukio is talking about how they're they're at the dinner table that night and he's talking about people who are too far gone that like maybe uh, yeah. medical treatment is wasted on them and I should just not bother. Maybe I should actually, you know, uh, be merciful to them and, and they're suffering. And the doctor's like, wow. Or the, the dad, he's like, uh, no, excuse me. That is not what doctors do. And you can't, you can't say that shit if you want to be a good doctor. Yeah. He so, says to be worthy of the title doctor promise. You'll never again make decisions on human life. And he basically is like, okay, well, I'll never again make decisions on human life until I come into a situation where there's a bit of a conflict and I have to make a decision on human life. Well, I I feel like he is chastened here, but the thing is his dad's not going to be around much longer to enforce it. Uh, And there's also just the, the dad is being completely hypocritical here. Oh, yeah. See, this is another thing I didn't catch the first time. The dad is full of shit he does not practice what he preaches he's literally made like a one-to-one decision on human life exactly. yeah, yeah yeah um with less actual information of whether or not it's the right choice than uh yukio usually has well i mean he had a red tattoo right <laughs> can't, can't have that <laughs> so uh rin spills something and uh shige the maid is just asleep in the corner. <laughs> the maid is, I feel like this maid, it's not touched on at all, but she is like, I feel like she's poor and ridiculously overworked. Yeah, I, I definitely get that impression because like she's the only one. She's like the the maid in the house. They don't have any others. And she's old. Mm-hmm. She looks so tired. Like oh, I, I would yeah. have to imagine she basically raised Yukio at some point. Oh, probably. And now he hates the poor. Yeah, which means he hates her, but, you know, yeah. she just has to swallow that. Of course. Uh, so Yukio says, recently this house has started to make my skin crawl. <laughs> and I'm just imagining the parents like, uh, okay, well, first you say that shit about putting people out of their misery. Now you're saying this, like, what's your deal today, Yukio? It seems like he's headed towards becoming an angel of mercy serial killer absolutely and and he lists nostalgia sadness a shadowy figure like hmm he has probably also been seeing his other half and not fully recognizing it mm-hmm. okay so next is when they find th- they're they're looking for the strange odor that won't go away yeah this scene i still don't fully get it I think it's meant to be like the first indicator that someone's in the house that's not supposed to be there, but it's not clear enough to me. Even I on a second viewing, I don't fully understand it. 
I think it's a couple of things because it's both the strange odor is very likely uh, an indicator that Tsukichi has been in the walls. Like he he has been in the house. Maybe he's been hiding in the closet. We know he's been spying or we'll certainly know he has been spying on them. So he's probably been in there. Maybe he took a dump in there. I don't know. That's kind of uh, what I think. Uh, that's kind of what I think it was. It, it seems completely in his character to have done so. Mm-hmm. But I, the other key thing is that Rin joins the maids and is cleaning and is laughing and cleaning like it's totally natural to her. Oh, yeah. See, that's the thing about this is uh, on the first view and because of this, because she fits in with the maids and the, the help, uh, mm-hmm. like the nurses and stuff, I thought she was a servant who he was marrying. It didn't click until later that she was supposed to be a noble woman. Right. Uh, well, he I mean, could she's not, not, but, you know, but he, he wouldn't be allowed to marry someone who's poor and he hates the poor. So how would he possibly end up with a poor wife? Yeah, see, but I didn't I didn't at this point, I didn't understand understand the extent of his hatred for the poor uh i thought that maybe at this point it's like i hate the poor but my wife is one of the good ones but i can't let my mother know that she's poor yeah no 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 Uh, it's not but it's it's notable here because she's laughing and cleaning and the the parents share a look like yeah there's something about her because her background is this black hole and they don't really believe her they, yeah, no, they do not. Um, there's there's actually lots of reasons to not believe her because uh, when she uh, when she first starts uh, later on, we'll see in a flashback when she first starts uh, wearing the rich person disguise, uh, she doesn't do very good. No, but it's sort of adorable. She's like a small child. Oh, it's super cute, but it's, it's cute. Uh, actually, she's, she's putting on a costume. Mm-hmm. Rin is my favorite in this. She gets. She gets unfairly shafted like the whole way through. Yeah, there there is a moment in this movie that I think is definitely the most emotionally resonant uh, later on. That's totally her moment. Uh, so next is where she discovers the dad dead uh, and, and it's all orange. Yeah, so this is like it doesn't at this scene, it's like it's not clear that. She just knows that there's something creepy going on in the house, and the shot of the dad's body is, like, on the screen for maybe half a second. So the first time I watched it, I didn't realize that this was the scene where she found the dad was dead, and I thought the dad just died off screen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a single shot. It, it really takes – like, you have to – when I was watching it the second time, I rewound to figure out exactly the sequence of events. So first she's just sewing. It's it's a very beautiful image. It's it's this beautiful widescreen shot. She's right in the middle, and it's her head shot from behind as she's sewing. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like she senses something in the house because it's not hearing something, or we would hear it on the soundtrack, right? And she like looks around nervously, and that's when we get that sort of chanting sound again. Yeah, the hey, 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 I love that. Oh, I love that. It's really great. And she goes down the hall and it's deep blue. Like it, it goes out of the orange into total blue. And it's it's that like it's a long shot of her coming down the hallway and 
there's a light pouring out of this orange light pouring out of a door at the end of it. But then she goes into the middle of the hall where the father's study is. Mm. So in the dark, it's kind of lit neon with golden window light. It's sort of like a noir movie, but like gold and blue instead of uh, black and white. Yeah. And she goes to the cabinet marked epidemic containment. Do not touch which looks creepy as hell. Yeah, it's just this like black box or black cabinet with the sign on it. Um, I think it's supposed to be his plague tools or his plague outfit like they have later on. Oh, yeah, we do see uh, their plague outfits. (laughs) I have things to say about that. And there's this weird moment where the earth seems to shake and she gasps and she sees the dad and and yeah it's just like a single shot he's got a thing on his face and it's totally unclear what it is i think from having watched the movie a few times that it's uh one of kichi's darts uh yeah that's that's probably what it is which uh which she was actually using as a hairpin at one point during the flashback which i thought was neat so i thought i thought it was a hairpin I mean, it could it, it could absolutely be because, I mean, it is a pin that he sticks oh, yeah. into that guy. <laughs> that guy. Mohawk guy. <laughs> Mohawk guy. This is 1910. Oh, yeah. He looks like he's in Mad Max or uh, Burst City. Yeah. So then, like, it, it's it's very unclear, but it turns out immediately we're in the dad's funeral and mom's talking about problems of some sort with the inheritance. Although we really don't know what those are. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically just saying like, hey, I don't have everything all set up. So when I die, which, uh, spoiler alert, is going to be two scenes from now. Extremely soon. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so there's going to be problems, just, just yeah. so you know. Although maybe there aren't. I don't know. D- does it even ever come up? Maybe it's just that fucking uh, Gichi is showing up and going to mess with things. Uh, maybe, yeah. It's not an inheritance plot. No. Um, I, I mean, it is and it isn't. It isn't, yeah. I mean, it's he he wants the inheritance. Like, it's it's the Bart Hugo thing. He, he wants the inheritance that he deserves and that, like, he, he deserves to have been born to a family instead of born into garbage of slums. Mm-hmm. Uh, owned by a traveling performer. Right. So she also questions Rin's suitability as a wife, although she pretty quickly backpedals on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she she does the whole thing like, hey, are you sure where she came from? We don't know. We can't check. Are you sure about this? Right. This is where we first hear the story about the house fire, that she lost her whole family in a house fire. So what do we really know about her? Yeah, yeah. And she uh, says that, Ever since she arrived, the house has felt strange. Now, there's a few reasons that this could be. It could be that Sukechi has been there the whole time. Or it could be that, like, at first, maybe Rin was trying to scam them, or but she never really does. No, I don't feel like she was ever trying to scam them. I kind of just feel like they know, for, for starters, that they get that she is from the slums like i i think they just instinctively know it somehow mm. uh 
they they seem to be extremely classist and it just seems to be a thing that they're aware of the, and and like they're aware of the various class differences like the thing with her cleaning they see her doing that it's like no no the, the, if if she was in this house fire maybe she's a maid who's taken the place of yeah. a daughter right oh that that's absolutely a thing that would make sense too yeah i mean like that's another you? thing that could have happened yeah <laughs> you, you had the opportunity come on yeah, like, oh no, I lost my everything, but I'm definitely rich. I, I absolutely rich. lost my job. I mean, my family. Yeah, my house that I was living in because <laughs> I owned it. So she says that the house has felt strange and they're quiet for like a really long beat. And then the chanting music starts again. <laughs> it's like already at this point, because we've had it associated with the filth. We've had it associated with things like, oh, like, oh, this is troubling. What's going to happen now? And she's like, I'm terribly afraid. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, uh, fuck. And then it just later on, they're in bed and he look hilariously like their bed they're so far apart <laughs> their beds are so far apart well i think they're like sleeping next to the mom to like comfort her because she's scared and she just lost the husband i guess that's what it is that she's supposed to be in between them and she's just not there when they wake up but the first like we don't establish her as being being between them it's probably a cultural thing yeah we just kind of assume, but it, the establishing shot is just the two of them in these extremely distant separate beds. And it's comical. It's like, what is going oh, yeah, on? There's here? like two bed widths between them. Yeah. And and it's just empty. And he looks over at her and it seems like he wants to go after her. And then he looks around and sees the mom who's just up late drinking at the top of the stairs. Sometimes that's what she got to do. I get it. I mean, she's had a rough day. She lost her husband. And, and, you know, she thinks that Rin might be, at this point, actually, I thought Rin might be like a ghost lady, like a Japanese ghost. Oh, I could see that totally. Or, or she might, I mean, or she could be an alien because she looks like an alien here. She uh, looks <laughs> like a phantom menace. Yeah. Like, like a Queen Amidala. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> this came out the same year as that, actually. Oh, my God, it totally did. So she she also apologizes for what she said earlier, uh, and she apologizes to both of them. I don't know if Rin's aware of what she said, but she like she's I'm sorry to you, too. Mm-hmm. So Rin's going to know that she said nasty shit about her, whether or not she heard it earlier. Yeah. But she probably knows that she's saying nasty shit all the time. Sure. Rin's got street smarts. Yeah. So then it, it does have her sleeping in the huge space between them. But then she gets up when they're asleep and sneaks out. She's like, she's like, I just want to go to the bathroom. And Rin's like, oh, why don't I go with you? She's like, no, 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 no. Like, oh, out. my God. Yeah. I mean, I totally get this, too. It's like, oh, my God, please just leave me alone for one minute. I have to go to the bathroom. Just, oh, my God. And also, maybe let me mourn my husband a little bit. That'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, she goes into the living room where there's a raggedy man. Oh, yeah. So the the, the way they introduce the raggedy man, he's just a silhouette at first, like a hairy silhouette. So I thought he was going to be a monster. It looks like he's half beast. And, and intentionally so. He's got just one half that's all shaggy. But he's just yeah. got like 
really crazy couture. <laughs> oh yeah, like even when he came into the light, I still thought he might be some kind of like I thought he might be like some kind of a yokai. Yeah, he he may honestly be some type of a yokai. Like maybe he is uh remember that yokai who makes a duplicate of people? Oh. He could yeah. be that yokai cuz that fits cuz he is just sort of uh, uh yukio's dark side as a physical being uh-huh. and not just not his evil side just his dark side yeah, his, kind of just his poor side his other side yeah. uh the, the other side image. of his point yeah 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 because they're both they're both bad oh they're they're extremely bad uh just in very different ways I, I like that he shows up and it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, he's the source of the chanting. It's obviously every time we've heard it before, it's been him because it's going crazy when he shows up. Oh, yeah. Like like there's two levels. There's like the the quiet one. And then there's the movie is screaming at you chanting. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like uh, the monolith in 2001. Oh, totally. Yeah. And he in in the first time we see, we get sort of a close up of his face. He's got no makeup, uh, uh, and N O H not. He doesn't have makeup. Yeah. No makeup. Yeah, like like uh, no theater. No theater. Uh, and he's got sort of sad makeup on. Mm-hmm. And and there's the pins of light in the eyes. Oh yeah. Which he, he, we see a few times at key moments. They they do a good job of making him like just adjusting the lighting to make him go from human to monstrous just with lighting changes it's it's interesting it is and it's it's cool that they do it here as a gradual shift it's almost like uh, a de-transformation from monster where like we we see a silhouette that seems to be a werewolf and then like the light slowly comes up to reveal makeup and then just kind of a a a dirty guy yeah a dirty guy but like he does japanese monster things oh completely he he does like the the dance. Uh, this whole scene actually has a completely different meaning when uh, the second time watching it, because I mm-hmm. thought it was just some monster harassing the mother. But yeah, so let's let's do we want to talk about the main thing that this guy does with the mother when he shows his uh, his leg? Well, so first he he's got these really ragged layered clothes with just like yeah. bits and stuff hanging off of him everywhere. He's got these very red eyes uh and of course the huge snake birthmark the first Mm. time seeing it i believe this is the first time we see it yeah so again i thought this was a tattoo and he was like showing her the tattoo this might be some like gang or something that she has a past with or because she clearly recognizes it And, and it's seeing this tattoo that causes her to faint not seeing this scary guy in the house well, it's weird. I don't think she faints. It's she she recognizes it, and there's this flash of running water. Yes, uh, with like this kind of like a screeching sound. So yeah. like you're you're really noticing it. Mm-hmm. And then she sees him, and he does this like he he does this gesture at her, and she just dies of a heart attack <laughs> yeah, instantly he just from cartwheels by. Yeah, he cartwheels out of out of screen. That was great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, she just dies right there. Yeah, uh, and and of course, 
uh, Yukio is very suspicious of this, so he gets a bunch of detectives to look through the place the next day. This is where we have that really cool sudden industrial sound. Like, well, oh, cool. yeah. So one thing I really like about this time period in Japan is that it's like a, it's still very much like the roots of Japanese culture, like the samurais and all that are still present, even though samurais themselves don't really exist anymore. But like it's still Tom Cruise, like, last samurai. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's like it hasn't been completely squashed by colonialism yet. So it's all well, I mean, colonialism it's complicated in japan it's not the same well and and i mean the the back to uh traditionalism stuff is also like far right conservative like that would be an abe thing that would be yeah i mean like that that's uh that that was a yukio mishima thing when he had his little revolution against the government uh but uh it's it is cool to see it sort of like be in that sort of nether region where it's semi-modern. We can recognize a lot of like modernity and these guys are really like future punk. The, yeah. the slums people. Yeah. Or what the term I use is kabuki punk. Yeah. But, but yeah, like, like you've got like your guys with uh, samurai ro- well, robes and stuff, but like also Yukio is always wearing like a, like an English business suit or an American business suit. Right. Cause he is heavily Americanized or Westernized. I would say. Westernized. That's it. Yeah. <clears throat> the Western cult. It's not colonialism. It's because Japan didn't get colonized. Really. It's that Western culture hadn't completely, hadn't fully snuffed out like the medieval Japan. So it's kind of like this whole fusion going on mm-hmm. of the, of the two cultures in this time period and in the 1800s as well. Right. Which I think is like visually really cool, even though the implications are kind of all over the place. Well, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's always interesting in any really uh, uh, vibrant city to look at stuff like that, that sort of uh, documents a certain era of past where it's uh, the, the futureness or the, the pastness in the present. Right. You, you have all sorts of layers of the past within any given present. Yeah. Uh, so the, the the detectives find nothing, and there, there's this great bit where Yukio throws open a cabinet, and there's a mirror in it, and he sees his own face, and he recoils. Yeah, it looks like the face is scowling at him. And then he turns again, and he's startled again by his own reflection. A, a full a different mirror. A full wall mirror. Yeah, a full standing mirror. And and I think it's interesting that he's jumping at these images of himself a couple times in a row. I think he has genuinely been seeing Stakichi around. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so he goes out and at the city gate, he's harassed by this ragged old monk guy. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> so here I thought the monk was the one responsible for everything. And this was going to be like, a, oh, you know, like the witch's thing of. Right. He's uh, got that do ragged the morally look. good thing or you're going to get cursed. Nope. <laughs> it's not nope. like that. No. So he goes into his clinic and he splashes some water on his face and he's again staring at his reflection uh, in the water. And and it, it sort of goes back to what he was talking about with his dad and what was sort of going through his mind from since he was in the war about hopeless people and mm-hmm. his definition of what hopeless is. And I feel like the entire slums are hopeless. 
So maybe just cut that off entirely. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's good that the fire happened, that it brought us together, but it would have been better if it burned out the slums. Would have been much better. And he's like working himself up to it. It's it's the serial killer thing of giving yourself permissions. And like now that the blockage of his dad is out of the way, who's like, no, you can't do that. It's like, maybe I can do that. And he's a little afraid of himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is that incredible sequence where two people really need help. <laughs> oh, this is... It's a trolley problem in movie It's a form. trolley problem, and it's it feels so contrived that I was like, okay, somehow the monk set this up. It feels like a dream sequence. Guy. Yes, it does. Because, like, there's just pounding at the window, pounding, pounding, and it's like, my baby, my baby. And they're poor, and they have plague. He's completely revulsed by them. Like, the baby's all, like, covered in stuff. Like, good. Yeah, but he's going to go help him until he hears knocking at another window. Well, first, he calls his nurses. And, yeah. like, he wants the nurses to get the police and the quarantine people. I don't know if he's going to help the baby at any point. He's just like, get on your plague outfits. Uh, right. We've got to deal with this. But I don't know if he ever plans to give her treatment. I think it might always be a get the police, get people to containment, get them out of here. Oh, uh, you could be right. Could be right. Um, I love the plague outfits. They're <laughs> they cool. look They're like, so rad. They look like 80s future outfits. They're like made out of tin foil. And they've got like these metal, they look like night helmets, but with a beak mask. Like, yeah, like, like the old Plague Doctor mask. A, a metal version of like the of the, the classic Plague Doctor mask with the big face and nose for breathing space. And I was looking at this and I'm like, oh man, modern medicine's really come a long way in the last uh, 600 years. <laughs> so they, they, they are in their Plague outfits and they're ready to go deal with this person in whatever way and suddenly yeah, at the front deal door with, some, I guess is the right word suddenly at the front door someone is someone else starts pounding and it's <laughs> the the mayor has fallen on a stake <laughs> he drank too much and he fell on his stake please save him from his self-induced darwin award he he's like impaled on a piece of wood he needs emergency surgery and it, it does feel like they're setting up this trolley problem scene but yeah to be fair, I mean, what was he going to do? <laughs> yeah. They, like, they didn't cure the plague yet at this point. Yeah. There, there's no treatment he could have gotten other than, like, maybe getting the plague himself. I, I don't feel like it's entirely fair. Uh, I mean, like, he, he doesn't handle it graciously or anything. <laughs> no, he's he chooses to help the mayor, of course. Yeah. But he's a dick about not helping the baby later on. He, he's a dick about it immediately because he sends the nurses to move the poor people away. Just get them as far away from the clinic as possible. Oh, and he says right. explicitly, and don't touch the child. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make sure you don't even touch it. Yeah, meanwhile, Rin's here like, hey, what about the baby? Gonna do anything? Like, gonna help them? While he's uh, trying to operate on the mayor. Which, again, I I, I get it, but no, and... I'm operating on the mayor right now. Can we talk about this later? I'm not entirely on her side in this scene. Not entirely, but... I get it. He could have ordered the nurses to, like, something to ease the baby's suffering. I don't know. Do they have 
baby anesthetics? <laughs> Probably. I don't not. know what they're working with here, actually. Maybe maybe there really isn't anything. There's probably morphine. There's not a lot of stuff at this point. Flintstones chewable morphines. Yeah. This this is the scene where the score has that amazing beeping and booping. Because, like, it's it's just this endless rhythms just pounding over and over and over again as he's trying to figure out what to do. And it's the boop, 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 boop. I love this so much. You know, at this point, I was half expecting, like, a third person to knock on the window, like, hey, <laughs> I, um, I ran over someone, and then, like, a fourth person. Yeah, I mean, it feels like comic escalation, and and Rin has like burst in to get in his face about it, uh, and he keeps telling her to leave. Yeah, uh, and and finally, like she she goes, and then later at home they're talking about it, and she's kind of chilled out, and I kind of get it. Yeah, she's like, "Hey, I'm sorry. I just I was really worked up thinking about this baby who was gonna die." Yeah, and she says something really interesting. She says that. She must have heard the rumor about you and believed it. What rumor do you think that is? See, at first I thought that he's a hero. That he's a really good doctor and he's a hero. Yeah, but I think I that's think what the it rumor is. going around the slums would be that he's an arrogant asshole. I think the rumor going around the slums is that he's Sutkichi and that he's out there giving medicine to the people of the slum or that like you know as a former denizen of the slums hey i mean you know could probably go get in with him yeah Uh, there was that point where rin like at the beginning of rin's story where she legitimately thought that yukio was sudikichi right yeah absolutely and and that's the thing is people keep seeing him and then communicating like that's how Stikichi even heard about it in the first place is oh yeah from a rumor that there's a doctor who looks just like him yeah exactly (laughs) yeah shit so they're they're talking about it and he's really vehement it's like look the plague is extremely bad you don't want this stuff and you know they're from the slums those slums are breeding grounds of infection if I treat this plague, they're just going to go back to the slum and get another plague and spread that around. And and she he 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 calls back to the kid who was quote unquote assaulted that, that he talked to earlier. Oh, yeah. And Rin's just like, yo, he probably said something nasty to the poor kids. It's like, yeah. no, that's definitely not what happened. Yeah, it's he says the slum people aren't human. Yeah, he says, they're just like that, those people, from birth. Yeah, they're born that way. (laughs) And this is the point where he says, I wish the fire had taken the slums instead. The whole place should be razed to the ground. That would be the end to all our troubles. Oh, shoot. So he waits. Yeah, this is where he I really thought he said it. He, like, mentioned it earlier, but. No, No, I knew I had it in my notes. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Just yeah, he's burned the whole damn thing down, huh? Uh, <laughs> he he wants to burn all of the poor. Uh, uh, can't have yeah. poverty if there's no impoverished people alive. Uh, just, vote for Yukio GOP 2022. Oh, uh, God. So he, he says that he doesn't want to think that way, but he can't help it. It's just how they are. Well, it's how I was raised. It's, it's how my father was. But I'm thinking, I remember like, five or six scenes ago and your dad was like you can't think this way <laughs> don't think this way dude what's wrong with you 
well, I wonder if I wonder if he's projecting his thoughts onto the dad and that's why he thinks that the dad thought this way or maybe the dad did think this way but didn't want Yukio to go down the same path. I think it's a bit of Or maybe the dad's a giant hypocrite. I think the dad is a giant hypocrite is the main thing. Like he he it's it's more of a propriety thing than anything else where he's not allowed to say it. He can't say the words, but he hates the poor probably like it does seem like his father has always kind of been not treating the poor either uh, and probably does not like I mean the the way they treat Rin just as suspected poor uh, yeah makes yeah. makes it kind of evident that they're not great with it mm-hmm. and that's really their only problem with Rin is that she could be poor that she could potentially be poor mm-hmm and he's like, look, I don't even know what your problem is. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately. Like, why are you why are you acting so, so weird like this? Why are you showing empathy for these slum people? That's so fucked up. Well, and he's like, oh, maybe it's because you think that maybe you were poor. It's like, look, you're not nobody because I validate you. Oh, yeah, right, that whole thing. It's, it's like, like, wow, what an incredibly fucked up thing to say. <laughs> yeah. It was this conversation uh, that I was just completely stopped being on the doctor's side for everything. Well, a very interesting moment in it. For just one moment, he's in shadow and his eyes have the same pins of light. Mm-hmm. It's it's it, And it's you realize it's exactly the same face, just clean. Mm-hmm. Or at least if you've seen it twice, I, I, yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, this is the same face. Exactly. Just clean. Yeah. And she falls silent and he just turns away. So I, I think this is interesting. I, I kind of feel like he is Stukichi to an extent, like the, the two of them are aspects of each other and they're sort of existing in two bodies, but they can call upon the reserves of each other. At a, at a to a certain extent like they 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 become one another or or they uh sort of exist on a on a nexus hmm. it's uh i do think that rin's theory that uh, at some point sutakichi died and his soul went into yukio i do think that might be actually what happened and could like, be here because here it, he's like full Yukio and uh, mm-hmm. the Sutakichi soul is dormant for now. Right. I mean, like, if, to a certain degree, he has to exist in two places at a time up to some point. But I can't figure where that is because, like, he still needs to have been spying on them earlier and be smelly and different from him. Yeah, that's true. But and yeah, it's he not have just gone over to the closet of his bedroom and put on all the rags and yeah, scared so, the mother. So I feel like they are two separate beings, but they sort of don't ne- like they're not necessarily fully separate. They they sort of have this intangible uh, connection between them at all times. Yeah. Supernatural of some sort, of course. Oh, sure. For sure. Um, it's It's never really super clear, actually. No. Which I kind of like. So a few days later, Rin's oddly absent when he wakes up. So he goes out in the garden looking for her, and he's suddenly attacked from behind and thrown down a well. Yep. 
And when he looks up, the person who threw him down looks exactly like him and wearing the same clothes. Yeah, uh, and he is going to take his place. But he doesn't say much to him this first time. He just no. stares at him. So we see him close down the clinic, uh, and, and he tells the nurses, look, that slum family may have left their germs around, and I wouldn't want to catch a lawsuit or anything. Yeah, and uh, he, he's got like his little burner thing. I, I don't know what that thing is. I don't know, some uh, kind of blowtorch. Yeah. Uh, like, and then he, he just goes inside and plays with all of the medical stuff, like he's playing around <laughs> with the stethoscope and... He's getting, just laughing. <laughs> getting syringes full of water and spraying them all over the place. It's great. <laughs> Having fun. Yeah, uh, at no point in this uh, replacing Yukio plan did he ever intend to actually be a doctor. Well, he threatens to at one point. Uh, <laughs> he a threatens later. to, yeah. So outside in the well, Yukio tries to climb out and learns that he cannot. Oh, this scene is really neat because as he's like climbing... We can hear the sounds of his struggle as the scene progresses. We just see him like leaning against the wall dejectedly, but we still hear all the sounds of the struggle as mm-hmm. he's like trying to get up. Yeah, so, we, we it, it's a good way of montaging that like, yeah, he tried, but can't do it. Actually, yeah, it's important to establish there is no way to get up to the top of this well uh, it's normally too wide. when you're just one person. Yeah. So the double comes back out again. He drops rice on him and he just like uh, scratches it in the dirt because he doesn't want it. Yeah. He's like, who are you? And he says, I am you. And he says that he's been spying for a while. But he couldn't bear to spy on you in your bedroom with uh, Rin. Yeah. Yukio threatens him not to touch Rin. And he's like, you're the one who killed my parents, aren't you? And I really like it. He says, maybe. Yeah, I like that. The the maybe. Maybe uh, he and it is maybe. Maybe it, he did. Maybe Yukio did. Maybe both of them kind of did. Maybe they just died of heart attacks. Yeah, maybe it's maybe. not. Yeah, may, maybe that they, was totally unrelated to anything with him. Although we did see him interact with the mom. Yeah. So inside, he like he goes inside and he approaches Rin. And there, there is a moment where his his leg comes out of the robe, and we see the snake birthmark, but oh, she yeah. doesn't see it yet. And this is why I think that maybe uh, Shikichi doesn't have the best plan because he he covers it up. He's just like, "Fuck, I can't believe I didn't think of that." <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. But he just doesn't seem like someone who has a lot of planning skills. He's a very impulsive nope. kind of guy. Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, that That's what makes Yukio more dangerous, even though both of them are kind of the same person. Mm-hmm. So he begs forgiveness for he just says that time at first. Uh, and it, it it almost seems like maybe he's apologizing for whatever drove them apart before. But we don't really know about them having a history yet. So I kind of actually read this as him apologizing for. Yukio yelling at her about the slums and all that shit. Yeah, because he says everything happened so fast, I couldn't explain. Yeah. Uh, And maybe the mayor's wound gave me combat flashbacks. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, that could actually be something that happened. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because he's making excuses for Yukio. And she says that she acted badly. She She's realized that, like, okay, I was kind of out of line. <laughs> I, I do think it's right around here that Rin suspects something. Because uh, I think she's like, wait, has Yukio ever apologized for anything before? It's very early that uh, she she picks it up. I, I think she gets it after this, but we don't see it. Uh, because they start to kiss. And we just cut outside to Yukio looking absolutely furious. <laughs> just, I'm just imagining, remembering back to that scene in Tokyo Fist where he's like throwing rocks exactly. at their window and going, no sex, no sex, don't you be having sex. It's, it's <laughs> exactly that. And it's him in just the turquoise light of the well, staring straight up, just so furious, knowing, just knowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next morning... The double shows up and throws some more rice down, and uh, Yukio asks if he made advances to his wife, and he just full on does a troll face to him. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like they they do two pans across from him, like showing half of his face in the slats. It's really great, and <laughs> Yukio is is like shocked for Owen. He's like, "What have I ever done to you?" Yeah, he says, I can't think of anything I've done to make anybody hate me. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I don't understand. I'm a good guy. And uh, the double threatens to reopen the clinic and inject people with his piss and then takes off. I don't think he was ever going to do that, though. I think he's just fucking with Yukio. Yeah, I don't think he was ever going to do that because uh, he doesn't seem that vindictive against the rich in general. He just really hates Yukio for, I mean, fairly valid reasons. Yeah, yeah, Yukio and the family for for good reason. And then that night he returns and he's like, I've come to offer you a story. But it's not about me. No, it's about Rin. Because she's a slums woman. She's a poor, a poor, you say. No! <laughs> and that's not all. She doesn't even have amnesia. Yeah, and he leans into the darkness of the well and we get him looking like the beast again his eyes and yeah. teeth start shining in the deep blue mm-hmm. and he says in the slums rin was my woman and we smash back we get to the opening rot rats and filth we, we get to see it in context this is where it all began this flashback is so crazy because it like it really does feel like mad max happening in the middle of 1910 japan yeah it's well i i, I mean it's probably so fast and energetic probably intentionally so kind oh yeah of recalling a a post-apocalyptic state for these slums in uh a time of major pa- pandemic right mm-hmm. so they're they're running uh they're dressed pretty much the same uh rin and our raggedy man who still doesn't have a name up to this point oh yeah uh, we don't know his name yet she is dressed in the same rags as we've seen him in, which is kind of fun. It's like, oh, hey, there's her. Yeah, her big crazy hair is uh, not done up all Amidala-like. And, like she, and it's like she just put her finger in an electric socket. It's um, Helena Bonham Cartery in Fight Club, actually. Oh, totally is. Yes. Which, interesting given that, like, the other Fight Club comparisons, it's the same year as Fight Club, too. Huh. So. Neat. They, they've done some sort of robbery. They've got just like fistfuls of gains. Uh, Rin gives some away to some beggar children. 
She she's into the whole Robin Hood life. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so much Stakichi. Nah, I feel like not so much for him. I mean, I think he'll do it for her, but he's not really doing it for that reason. Nah, he just wants to steal shit and sometimes kill the people to steal the shit. So this is the only flash we get here. We we just see her giving the money away or the 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 wealth away to uh, the beggars, and then it cuts back to the present. He's like. Oh, yeah, and the amnesia thing, that's a lie, obviously. It doesn't exist. <laughs> it's like, come on, that's not a real thing. You're a doctor, come on. Is amnesia a real thing? Uh, Sort of. <laughs> sort of, not the way it works in anime and TV. Yeah, not this sort of anime where, like, oh, she just doesn't remember uh, this uh, thing. Uh, yeah, no, it, selective amnesia, I mean, that's more of a soap opera thing. Mm-hmm. And he says the burn isn't from a house fire. And we cut back to her doing it as a bonding ritual. It was totally her idea, even. Yeah, so so we never actually saw this before, but she has a burn mark like a snake on her thigh, just like he does. Yeah. But hers is self-inflicted. Yeah, and it's it's funny because, like, he wasn't even into it. He's like, I don't know. This is Couldn't we just pinky swear? This is too much. <laughs> yeah, I don't even like this snake, Mark. Yeah, it's, I mean, I was born with it, and I don't love it. Uh, but she does it, and then they do, like, a beastly mating dance. This is so intense. So great. Like, so, so totally different from everything that Yukio has been doing. Right. And it it cuts to the present and he goes in and uh, the two of them, uh, like Rin and Kichi, have sex. Uh, and this is where the poster image comes from. Mm-hmm. With, uh, the the head under her arm, it looks like a severed head, but it's just him laying weird. Yeah, they have a weird hot sex here. Yeah, it, hot, it's unusual. weird sex. And afterwards, she's upset, but she won't say why. But of course, it's because she knows it's not Yukio. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. She's like, you know, uh, Yukio, wink, wink. Or wait, no, that not yet. Not that yet. Doesn't she, yet. She has a flashback first. She flashes yeah. back to them in the flop house where Mohawk guy shows up. I love this guy. This guy. He's so cool. Is, okay, so this guy is wearing like uh no makeup and like a samurai robe like super colorful but also all tattered with a big red mohawk and just kind of red paint all over red and white paint Mm -hmm. and he's like hey uh you killed my family to steal all these jewels to get to give to this girl and that's not cool well he shows up in their sleep and he says i gave a hair clip like that to my fiance but that's what it was but it doesn't matter now. It doesn't matter. She's dead now. And he starts going, I'm like, man, it's a terrible world where people like you exist. <laughs> and this is where he says, like, you know, this guy killed my wife and family to give this shit to you. And then they have a battle. You know, they. they yeah. He they takes off it. his like samurai robe, but he's got like full body tattoos. I think he might actually be like Yakuza. Yeah, I, I think he is a Yakuza. Yeah. Uh, and the the intruder is killed with a pin through the neck. And it has like that flowery stuff on the end, very much like her hairpin. And I guess his hairpin. And he's got a lot of hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think this is maybe what also killed the dad. 
and then maybe Rin took it away, like took it out and didn't oh, tell shit. anyone about it. That, so then she could have suspected that Tsukichi was in the house like way before the, the double switch took place. Yeah, I mean, I figured she would have fi- figured it out pretty quick. Like, she's pretty savvy. She knows him already, and she knows yeah. his deal. She'd probably know his smell. Yeah. When he's stinking up the house, and everyone's like, what the hell is that smell? And he's like, oh, I might know what that is. Oh, good point. I never thought about that either. <laughs> so we finally learn his name here. This is where we learn that he is Stikichi. And we learn this because the guy who he thought was his dad is cursing him out. He's this street performer who's got a bunch of identical bald street performers all in white. <laughs> it's definitely like a street performer rob people blind kind of deal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he he calls him a thief. He's like, it's rich of you calling me a thief when you picked my purse while I slept. <laughs> Uh, so, like, yeah, he he's some sort of performer. He it's it's sort of the same situation as uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Michael Rooker's character and uh, <laughs> oh yeah, Starlord. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I raised you. I raised you to be better than that. Yeah, but you're not better than that. No, not the point. And and I I raised you to be a criminal. I mean, you know, that's sort of what we do. I think he just took issue with the murder. Maybe. And he 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 comes out with it. He says that he's not his real dad, that he found him washed down the river. And he really only saved him because the birthmark seemed like he'd probably be really good bagging material. Yeah, like, wow, hey, Sudkichi, your whole life and everything you believed in is uh, not true. Yeah, and never show your face here again also. Get out of here. I, I, you need to leave this area. And he's just dragged off. And separated oh, yeah. from Rin. Yeah, and like they they take Rin, and he's like, "You're only gonna don't worry, Rin. You're only gonna be with him for a little while. I'll come back for you." Right. So we, it's not clear how long she's with him. It, it cuts back to the present, and they're in bed at night, and she says, "You've come back for me," and she calls him Stkichi, but he just keeps up the ruse for some reason. This? I don't really understand why. This is why I hate Sutakichi as well and why I'm completely not on his side. Because he's such a gaslighting asshole? Yeah. Yeah, he is literally gaslighting her. It's like, no, I'm Yukio. I don't know what you're on about. He does want to take his place, but I can't figure out how he imagines he'll do that because he obviously can't work as a doctor. Yeah. He doesn't have the skills. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Um, He's just going to live on... I think his plan was to live on the inheritance... I guess so, but but there will be problems. Maybe he is the problem that she was thinking of. Oh fuck, maybe. <laughs> so she she starts saying that she once had a dream as a child about being visited by her brother. Uh, to to sort of play it off that like I guess he is Yukio. I I'll, I'll just say this other thing, like oh yeah. yeah, I mean I was thinking about this dream I had. And he's like, oh, that's great. Maybe your memory is coming slowly back. Yeah. What a what a slime ball. It's it's so crazy because so it cuts outside. Yukio's crying for help. Uh, we see them making love again, and she calls him out. You know, your lovemaking is really different. 
lately. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, you're just done in like two seconds. Yeah. Was spying on us in bed so unbearable? Which is funny because that's literally the word he used to describe how spying on them in bed was. Yeah. She's got his number completely. I, she kind of got everyone's number the whole movie. Pretty much. And I think the big the big thing is she's really worried about him being vengeful because of her hooking up with Yukio. And and she's she's kind of testing the waters. She obviously knows it's him. She can't figure out what kind of game he's playing or why. To be fair, neither can we really. No, I don't really know what he's doing, but <laughs> it, it's hard because he's not an individual person. Yeah. So we we get another flashback where she got caught doing a solo robbery and uh, the guy tries to assault her because he's like, well, you must be used to rape every day. So, you know, why don't you just uh, work for me? Yeah, he offers to pay her. Like the whole time she's like pointing a knife directly at him and he's just like. He's undressing. He's he's like taking his clothes off and walking towards her. He's like, well, I'll pay you for it, too. Uh, but like, there, there's no no option. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says he he has certain unusual tastes, and he grabs for her throat, and we cut to outside. Yeah, this is uh, this is where the fire happens. Yeah, he the the lantern is knocked out of his hand, uh, and the house burns down. So we we don't really know exactly how it all goes, but she probably killed him. Probably. Uh, And she says, it's not my fault. He was wicked while she's laying outside the burning house in the woods. Uh Uh, And she imagines Tsutokichi performing with his dance troupe. Oh, yeah. The the imaginary performance. Everyone looks like they're having so much fun. And you can see her in the performance, too, Mm -hmm. Uh, like with her full uh, full makeup, which we haven't seen before. (laughs) Here she really looks like Queen Amidala. It's kind of great. And when she when we realizes it or like, you know, we, we realize it's just her fantasy and Sudikichi in his dance uniform begins crying blood. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And she's like, come for me, come back for me. And then it's later, you know, sometime later and she's bathing in the river and who should come by but Yukio. But she's naked, though. And she's embarrassed because, yeah. like, so he looks he. so good. Yeah. So she goes yeah. and she's like, oh, my God, it's Sudikichi. And he looks great. It's crazy. Yeah, he must have uh, he must have been working really hard before he comes back for me. Yeah. So she steals some fresh threads, <laughs> gets all <laughs> gets all done up. I love this scene because, like, she's she's done it up, like, completely wrong. Like, it's nice clothing, but it's all disheveled looking. She's wearing she's, it all, all, all like sideways. Yeah, she yeah. and and she's like got the purse and she's just like spinning it in circles. She's like an excited small child. It's really adorable. Yeah, she's waiting at the same place in the river where she found him before. And the way they they shoot this montage makes it seem like she's been there for must have been hours. And the the amazing thing is they never show them meet. It just shows. It, it just shows Yukio lurking in the trees, smiling. Mm-hmm. It's very creepy. It looks cute, but yeah, it's creepy. So uh, in the present, she starts begging Stakichi to just berate me. Are you and he accomplices in some game? 
yeah, she's like, like, what the hell is going on here? This is messed up. And yeah, like, like this is where I really feel for her. It's like, man, mm. I, I was just about to finally be loved. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I, like, I, I don't know. Like, I think that's a little bit later in this scene, but I, I think that's when she's like, you, you fucked this up. I, I was like, those fucking shitty in-laws were finally out of the way. I, I could be with this guy and start to fix him. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. It's definitely an, I can fix him scenario. He is a fixer upper big time. Oof. So he, he just isn't interested. He goes out to the well. Yeah. Uh, and this is the very first time he's shown from the opposite side of the screen. He's, he's always shown, uh, down in uh, the bottom right. Here he's on the top left. And it's the first oh, time I he never... starts lying to him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, the first saying... thing he says, he's like, every day I get on better and better with your woman. That's not true. That's literally the, the opposite of what's going on right now. You, you didn't figure out how you were going to deal with her with your uh, doppelganger switch game. He didn't, didn't figure really anything out. He really have a plan. He had no plan at all. He was just uh, going to go in there and pretend to be him, and it was going to be great. Yeah. So he says, also, I, I won't be bringing you any more food. This is the last bowl. Yeah. And he spits in it and then dumps it. And this time, Yukio eats it like a feral animal. Mm -hmm. he, he has gotten to the point where he has merged or he, he has reached his level and it's no longer like he, he has gotten to the beast level and he can defeat him now. Like he can become yeah. him again. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting. We don't really find out how long he's been in the well for. I figure it can't be terribly long because he, he seems to just have closed the clinic for a short period. Yeah. Um, I, I can't imagine it's more than maybe like a week at most. Right. So They've reached their equilibrium point, and we flash yeah. back to Stikichi, and, and it's interesting. It's the first time we've seen him kind of sympathetic. It's his heartbreak with him seeing Yukio the first time. Right, right. Like, he, he's been hearing about him around town, and he goes to see him, and he realizes he's been discarded. Uh, not only just... By uh, like, I, I don't think he's aware of Rin with him yet. It's just knowing this is his twin who became a doctor and is wealthy and he was just discarded. It's like that scene in uh, Velocipaster, I think it is, where the <laughs> yeah. parents and the one kid are just laughing, laughing, laughing. And then it just cuts slightly off to the side where there's the one kid off to the side being completely Who's like ignored. secretly there all the time. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's it's kind of powerful because it, it, it's it's true. He he was just sort of completely discarded, and he could have had this life. The oh, only yeah. thing that kept him from this life was this birthmark, and then to soon see the guy with Rin as well having taken his wife, uh, I kind of get why he went insane. Yeah. Although also they're kind of also tied and sort of the same person. So I don't know. It's complicated. So he climbs up on top of the well, and this is the part where like his eyes and teeth are glowing again. And oh, he says, yeah, he looks really beast-like here. Yeah, and he's like yelling that the mother, your mother and father, murdered me because of my birthmark. 
uh, my dad doesn't kill anyone. Right. And and Yukio finally is like, he's done with it. He, he He's begging him to kill him. Oh, yeah. And Tsukichi uh, is uh, dangling this knife over the well. He's like, should I kill you? Shouldn't should I kill you? Should you decide. I? Yeah, I love that. He's like in full like creepy beast mode, and then he just stands up perfectly straight and goes back into Yukio mode. It's like you decide. He throws it down and closes the lid, and then he puts makeup on the birthmark. He goes to the clinic and covers it up with makeup. So, did she? Did he just keep this hidden all the time they were having sex? I think this is the first time he's doing it uh, just to because she's seen it before. And there is a part later or like very shortly where she goes to reveal it. Yeah. And, and it's and it's not there. But like they've had sex a bunch of times already and he hasn't put makeup on before. No, but like he's just gaslighting her. She obviously knows it's him because he's obviously not the same person that he was like a week before. Right. But so he. He's willing to just keep making her think she's crazy. See, yeah, this is why this is why I hate him. Because yeah, he's, a, he's he's a pretty bad guy. They're both bad guys. They yeah. are a bad guy together. I mean, yeah, killing throwing somebody down a well and taking his life is pretty shitty, but he <laughs> it's, can at it's, least like, you know, live happily with the girl. But she continues to pick at the lie. She she is yeah. not going to be happy with it. She th- this is where she shares her theory about Tsurikichi having died and that his spirit now inhabits Yukio's body. And Which, the more this I is watch act- this movie, the more I think that that is what happened. Yeah, maybe. I, I kind of think it's more of just a, a a thing where he kind of just exists as a, a dark shadow because he's still there at the end. But this is actually the part where she's like, he was gentle with me, much more gentle than you ever were. And she's mad that, like, yeah, she was finally going to be loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, things were looking up. She she was finally going to be able to there. And now he showed up to wreck it. This sucks. That's not fair. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, I, I'm begging you that we can just go back to the happy relationship we had. Now, which one do you think she's talking about? I don't know. I mean, I guess at this point, either one would be preferable to what she's currently yeah, I mean, got. Either one would be all right. Kind of got neither. Kind of got the worst of both worlds. Yeah, and she, this is where she grabs for the the robe and looks for the birthmark, and it's not there, or seemingly not there because it's covered up. Yeah. And he's like, "Let's heal your sickness together." Uh, smug piece uh, of shit. Oh, hate, 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 hate. That's so <laughs> ooh, not cool. And so she cries and he goes out to look at the well because he's become the cold, shitty Yukio at the start. And Yukio has become the beast man. They've switched places Mm. and and he looks and he sees Yukio face down, dirty, probably looking dead in the well. Yep. And then he looks to his right and he sees the knife. Not thrown or anything. It's just, you know, laying there. Yeah, laying on the ground outside of the well. Outside of the well. And then suddenly a filth-covered Yukio, like a feral beast, attacks him. He's become him, just like he became him earlier. Yeah. 
they, they've become each other. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, okay. All right. I've got a thought that I need to keep in my head for the ending. Okay. He strangles him to death. And uh, I thought it was kind of funny that he strangled him because he's barely had any food for the last X number of days. It's, it's just the pure rage that he feels towards him. And it, also the uncanny nature of it that like this is his exact double who's just like mm. his dark shadow and he looks at his hands for a really long time after it because like he's broken his oath oh yeah he's he's killed somebody he promised he never would and even though he's been thinking about it he's been well he's been thinking about omitting care he never really thought about practicing negative care let's say and at at this point he's he's still crying he's upset and he he kind of feels like uh, an innocence has been lost i feel like he won't yeah. hold on to that much longer <laughs> no so once again at the river we see rin reflecting that sudkichi has died and possessed yukio and then she turns and yukio shows up but now he's ragged and reborn he looks like a com- completely different person now from either of the two that we've seen. Like a different kind of ragged, reborn Yu-Gi-Oh! Right, and and we get a, a flashback to their birth, where uh, obviously one goes down the river, and he's found by the street performer. And it, it cuts to Yukio back in his doctor's uniform in the clinic. And he closes up the medical bag and he tells assistants, I'm off on my rounds. Yep. Uh, we, <laughs> we see uh, Rin caring for a baby. Now, I don't think the, the baby going down the river, I don't think that was a flashback. I was thinking this was like a flash forward and this is their twins. Mm, maybe, but like the because there's another child, but it's much older. And I think it's just a, another iteration of Sutkichi. Hmm. Because the two of them are, are working together. Uh, Him and the and the kid? They they certainly seem to be. Because, they do like, seem to be. The kid at least like, seems to be leading him. Right. So at, at home, we've got the bright, clean orange light again. Uh, or No, I think it's just completely bright and clean. I think we have no gel light there. This is the no, first time it's just clear. Yep. So Rin's got the child, and then we have this really ominous low shot where... Yukio strides past uh, and passes the beggar, the monk from earlier. Yeah, the monk is like, hey, it's been a while, but you're still an arrogant, shitty piece of... And he looks in Yukio's eyes and he just, like, falls back. He freaks out. He is terrified. Yeah, he turns back and we don't see the look. We just see the back of his head as he turns to look at him. And it's something that he can easily turn on and off. It's something that maybe only the poor can see. Uh, maybe it is uh, a hatred towards the poor that is invisible to the wealthy, uh, which uh, sounds like something pretty accurate to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the chanting sound returns as he walks away from the guy. Yeah, he's walking away and we see that he's walking towards the slums and we get like this high shot of like the slum rooftops. But we got like sound effects that sound like fire, and, well, and there's no fire happening. There's no fire we see. First, that we see, yeah. he he's walking through the city, and we see an alley, 
And down an alley, there's a child version of Sudakichi. He's got the the beast half. He's like him, like like a child doing Sudakichi cosplay. Oh, oh yeah, okay, I can see that. Yep. And Yukio follows him, and the and soon the two of them are walking together, striding at the same pace along as the slums burn. Mm-hmm. And that's how we end with just the slums burning and the two of them walking together. It's interesting because I don't think it's we don't we don't actually see a fire. We just see heat waves of the slums. Yeah, I mean, but you hear burning and you do you see flames. There's flames at the bottom of the screen. Like you don't oh, see what's that. burning, but there's there's flames. Uh, it, it seems that he is burning down the slums or it seems like he is now taking on his angel of mercy uh uh mission because like you know all the barriers have been broken Mm -hmm. he hasn't learned a valuable lesson from this he's learned a lesson of uh well uh let's burn it all down uh you know know, they they are evil and infectious yeah you know killing people i mean i did it the one time and it was pretty hard but that's because i had to use my bare hands now, if I use some of these injections, I bet that'll be a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's a very incredibly dark ending, quite like mm-hmm. Bullet Ballet's being uh, super grim. But it's also the same ending as uh, Tetsuo. Uh, he and uh, Sudakichi have merged and destroyed the city. Except Basically, they've destroyed yeah. the slums. They've destroyed the underclass they're not destroying the metropolis they're destroying uh just the slums Mm -hmm. and then uh, the the final image of them kind of striding together in the flames is sort of like (laughs) a a more perverse version of them happy in the wasteland at the end of tetsuo as a family oh yeah (laughs) right in in tetsuo too when the, the lady and the kid are there yeah, so it, it, and instead of having a family with him, it's just him uh, with another twisted version of himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so I, I do think that like him and Rin had twins and he and he put one twin in the river, just like his father had done. That That's how I read it both times that I saw the movie. I don't buy that because it's the it's the same performer who picks him up. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. We we see him found by the street performer. So I don't feel like that guy would do it again. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> and he's got the same tat, the same snake tat, which would also be odd. I don't know. I mean, I, it's not well, impossible I mean, the snake in the symbolism. In the first but, place. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like that's a flashback. Like, there could be another child. It seems likely that there is a shadow child. But I don't think it's of their child. I think it's still of Yukio. Hmm. Because it, I, I don't feel like there's necessarily a whole... I, I feel like he's more of a supernatural being than he is necessarily a real thing. He's more metaphorical in nature. Tsudakichi, okay. I mean. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't think this is one that's possible to have a literal reading for. I, I don't think that's the point. No, because th- there has to have been a real Sudikichi out there at some point. Yeah. Um, so it can't it can't be like a full fight club. No, but like I don't think it's meant to be that either. I think it's just supposed to be that, you know, they 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 share this sort of 
same being like there there are two souls in two or one soul in two bodies right Mm -hmm. and then they merge because obviously they are able to just uh switch reality like the the way that he gets out of the well is he just becomes him yeah see that's the thing like we established that he cannot get out of the well on his own but suddenly he's out and i thought okay did he somehow use the knife as like a handhold no, it'd still be really hard. Well, because he it, it's also immediately after we saw him dead in the well, like he yes, looked and, down and he saw his body. Yeah. And I, and I stopped at this point, too, because we do see his body there. It's not like yes, he you put see his some face. pillows under his coat. No, they, they zoom in. So you see the face. It's very clear that it is him. And then he sees the knife and then he's there. It's because he's become him and then he kills this other part of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 like that killing, it's it's like popping his killing cherry. I I don't think it's even that. What I would take from it is that he has killed the part of him that has any sort of empathy with the poor, that has any sort of connection with it. Oh yeah, yeah, that too. Like he has just, uh, he he's destroyed the only part of himself that has any sort of connection outside of his uh, weird family. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of different uh, themes there, but like it's interesting how much it mirrors those other ones, but sort of strips it down to this very specific, like just the duality parts and yeah. the bad relationship parts, which is in all of them, too. Uh-huh. These toxic fucking relationships with two people who are kind of three people who are just sort of. Because they're all triangles, but they're all sort of these weird broken triangles where the other person kind of doesn't properly exist as a separate entity <laughs> yeah they're they're always these bifurcated men who are twin brothers but they are actually kind of two sides of the same coin and this one i feel like they kind of literally just merge into one being i do kind of feel that way like when he strangled him he kind of became him but also himself right which is why it's funny that this one is gemini and it's the one that highlights the twins thing when all of them are twins movies and this is the one that the, the, we're going to explore the twins theme and then make it just one person ultimately. Uh, yeah, I, I I dig it a lot. It's it's one of my favorite of the Sukumotos. It's really good. Um, I think this is the only one where he himself doesn't appear in the film. Right. Yeah, I I think that probably is the one. I don't think he's anywhere in this one. Uh, he doesn't show up in the credits at least, and mm. I didn't recognize him anywhere. Not he's in most of, of the other ones. He, yeah, and there's not a lot of room for him, like not a lot of places where he could be hiding. Right. Yeah, it, it's great. It's one of my faves. Oh, yeah, the score is so good. I, I just it's a great love one. the whole I love the whole aesthetic. The orange light kind of reminds me of like when you get like that smoky fa- haze uh, when there's a fire nearby and the smoke's blocking out the sun kind of like uh, here for the past week. Like here. Yeah. Like, you know, the West Coast for the last uh, yeah. for like four months out of the year yeah the the wildfire west coast where we're seeing a lot of this orange i don't love it so much here this is a much no. thicker gel orange though too mm-hmm. but like that's that's what i immediately thought of when i saw that orange color especially since they were talking about the fire when it first pops up yeah and the smell they they talk about the smell and it certainly smells mm, yes it does <laughs> yes it does my west coast peeps you you know what i'm saying it's uh, probably my third favorite 
Tsukamoto? Mm, that's a tough call. It is a really tough call. He hasn't. We haven't watched a bad one of his yet. They've all been or very not good. Even, not not even a bad one. We haven't even lost watched like one that's a bit of a dud. Yeah, my least favorite is Hiroko. I like Hiroko a lot, but it's the only one that really feels off model. Yeah, it does. Uh, so, any final thoughts before we get on to our second film? Uh, no, I think we're good. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about Blood Rage, or or Slasher, or Nightmare at Shadow Woods. Nightmare at Shadow Woods. Yeah, it's one of these that has uh, three titles, depending on, I guess, which version you're watching. Yeah. So it was made in 1983, but released in 87. Uh, there, there's like kind of a, a complicated release because there's multiple different versions of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a Thanksgiving-based slasher movie. I'd say loosely based on Thanksgiving, because aside from the fact that they have Thanksgiving dinner and he has his one catchphrase, there's not a lot of thanksgiving stuff that goes on. I mean, there there can't really be that much that's all that Thanksgiving-y, but it is on Thanksgiving. Like, it's a, it's as Thanksgiving-y as, as most holiday movies are about any holiday. Unless mm-hmm. the ones that are, except the ones that are, like, absurdly holiday-y. Like, a Hallmark well, movie yeah. at Christmas. Ugh. Oh my God. Let's go to Holiday Town. Or, or you know, any Christmas movie, really. Eh, it depends. Depends uh, how old the movie is. True, true. Because all Christmas movies now are Hallmark movies. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, yeah, this one's really neat. Uh, kind of, it does kind of have a similar energy to Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah. Uh, the killer in this, a lot more, I guess, fun is the word I'd like, because he's he's just having fun with it. This he, His whole motivation is, this is hilarious to him. He's Ted Bundy. Oh my god, he is so Ted Bundy. Yeah, he's just completely playing Ted Bundy the whole movie. Uh, very interesting character. Uh, both characters, Todd and Terry. It's another twin movie, where uh, one twin gets completely neglected by the parents. Yeah, uh, also one of them is a murderer. Only one this time. Yeah, th- this one, the evil twin, is just one of them. Mm-hmm. They're not just both evil twins. There's evil t- twin and traumatized twin. Yeah, I mean, they're both kind of fucked up. Uh, and their mom is, isn't is all that great either. Like, their mom is messed up, too. Oh, the mom. Ooh, I've got words to say about the mom. Louise Lasser, uh, who was Mary Hartman on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. <laughs> She was once married to Woody Allen. She was like one of his first wives in oh, the sixties. Wow. Yeah. Oh, she must have been like twelve. <laughs> uh, she was twenty-one. I want to say. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. A this was a young Woody Allen. Oh, okay. I see. Hacky joke. <laughs> I know. I know. Hey, just call me Jay Leno. I got the headlines, and they're funny, and I read them. And there's yeah. a typo, and it's let's laugh at that. Because uh, she was uh, like she she was in all his early movies, the the quote unquote early funny ones. <laughs> okay, I I I'm sure I've seen Woody Allen movies, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. I've seen most of his movies, or like a big chunk of his old ones, the the most of the early ones for sure. All right, he's he's prolific. There there's a long period where he was like doing a movie every year, and 
I have gosh. seen all of those. I, I've seen like the 60s ones and the 70s ones and isolated ones in between. I think you saw uh, Midnight in Paris, didn't you? Weren't you there for that I might have. Probably. I might have. Owen Wilson? He's not in Maybe. it. Maybe. Uh, Woody Allen isn't in it. Uh, I couldn't I, I couldn't say. If I saw it, I remember nothing. Yeah, I think it's Owen Wilson falls backward in times to Paris uh, in like the the jazz age and he hangs out with Dali. It's great. It's kind of fun. Oh, doesn't sound familiar, but uh, does sound fun. Uh, but you know what else is fun? The the drive in scene at the beginning of this movie slaps This is like a yep. little short film of its own. Uh, it kind of gave me like uh, miniature heavy metal parking lot vibes. Just yeah. seeing all these different people in the drive in theater and just doing drive in movie stuff it's like, you know, making out or not making out or kids being rambunctious. Um, you know, did you did you recognize the uh, condom salesman? Oh, no, I did not recognize the condom salesman. He, he has like a look that it's a distinctive look, though. Yeah, you've seen him in a lot of stuff. It's Ted Raimi, Sam's no little brother. Kidding. Yeah. No shit. I had no idea. That's him. Yeah, there's this. Uh, there's a condom salesman in the bathroom where uh, this guy goes after getting his popcorn and takes his popcorn into the bathroom. Ew. Ugh. Yeah, no, don't do that. I mean, I get it. Where else are you going to put it if you don't have someone to hang on to it? But, I mean, go to the bathroom first. Well, you're in a drive-in. Put the popcorn in your car. <laughs> He's got to go out and come back in. That's a lot of work. That's two trips. You're right. That's too much. And then he's got to go and get the condom from the condom guy. Um, I, I actually thought that, that the guy getting the condom was going to be our main character because he's the one that this uh, drive-in bit is focused on for the first part. As oh, it's just right. Following yeah. him through the through the process of getting his uh, his snacks and all that during the intermission. Going to the lobby, get himself a snack. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, one thing about the popcorn is that it is not cranberry sauce. Nope. Uh, one of the families, or one of the people making out in the drive-in, is uh, this older lady and an older dude who's got two kids in the back of the station wagon sleeping. But she's, like, constantly worried about the kids, constantly thinking about them. And it's like, yo, I don't think we should make out when they're right there. And the guy's like, yo, killing my buzz, man. Um, so it's it's interesting because the, the thing is, they do start making out, but the two of them get out of the car. The kids do get out of the car. <clears throat> the one, uh, ta- Terry, actually, is like, oh, man, mom's at it again. This is all she does. Right. It seems completely opposite that it sort of sounds like she uh is constantly concerned with them and isn't actually uh sexually active at all it's just he is immediately triggered by any sexuality from her in any way yep and it's important to note that it's terry who's who's upset by this because he is the he's the bad twin but he's he's believed to be the good twin he is believed to be the good twin because he's the favorite yeah yeah, they're wandering about in the drive-in, and Terry... Actually, no, here's an interesting thing. I wonder if it's because of the edit. Uh, but it's Todd who finds the axe, and then the music kicks up while he's looking at it. But it's... In the next scene, it's Terry who's holding it. Yeah, it is Terry who uh, uses it. It's Terry who uses it. 
And uh, yeah, he just goes up to a car where our uh, condom customer is making out with his girl. And he just fucking takes the axe to his face. Yeah, he, he chops his face. Uh, depending on the cut, you'll see it a lot. You'll see him chop it like several times. <laughs> um, yeah, I watched the first I watched the slasher cut for like 10 minutes until finding out that it's not the superior cut. Like, I'm not really sure which is the superior cut. I, I just know that I, I think the one that's the most complete is the composite cut. Uh, there's three different cuts on this Arrow set. Uh, I have watched all three of them. They're all pretty good. Mm-hmm. They are. The slasher cut, at least from what I've seen, has one scene that isn't in the uh, composite cut and wouldn't make sense to be in the composite cut, and it's better without the scene that happens right after this. But Terry kills the kid, and, or the, the guy, and Todd's just standing there, like, basically catatonic at this point. Terry's like, smearing him with blood and then he's like ah he starts screaming he's like mommy mommy look what todd did look what todd did and the mom comes immediately running over to terry and doesn't even look at todd for like for like the first minute that she's comforting him and it's like does does she even see him does she know that he's there like right right here from the get-go it's clear that she's got a favorite of the two kids yeah, obviously. But I, what, what I find really interesting is this whole movie is sort of a parallel to Halloween. It's a really obvious Halloween rip where oh, yeah. we have this part at the beginning. We have the kid committing a murder and we have the scene where he's discovered and the parents rush in. Except this time he's handed it off to someone else. It's this it's the twin brother who didn't do it, who he's. And, and then like that kid spends the time in the institution and. This is Thanksgiving Day, the night he came home, but he isn't the bad guy. Yeah, he just wants to come and have uh, have some turkey with his mom and his uh, new dad. Actually, I don't know what Todd's uh, endgame really was. To get out. I guess. but Maybe to prove his innocence. I think he wants Maybe. to prove his innocence. And uh, I don't know, uh, for whatever, like, I'm, I, I'm not sure if it's the remarriage that made him break out knowing that it would cause Terry to go on another killing spree or is it that is it the combination of the marriage and Todd's escape as a, a potential scapegoat again that makes Terry uh, start his killing spree uh, I have a theory about that my theory it's a, it's a pretty simple theory my theory is first Terry heard that uh, the mom's going to be marrying this Brad guy and he's like whoa I'm not cool with that. Uh, um, um, okay, Brad, I guess you're the head of the house now, Brad. But then when she hears that Todd has left, Terry's like, I can kill people again because Todd's out and I can just blame him again? Oh, man, yeah. that's a solution to all my problems. Yeah, I, I do kind of feel like it, it's an opportunistic thing where he realizes, oh, shit, I can actually just uh, blame this on Todd again if he shows up here. That's perfect. And it's like, well, shit, why should I stop at killing Brad? This is fun. Yeah, I mean, he's he's going on a spree. Oh, yeah. So the, the scene that, that's in the slasher version, that's not in the composite, the composite version, both versions have us cutting to 10 years later, right after the drive-in thing. But this one has, like, this weird scene in the doctor's office where the doctor's narrating everything that's happened but she's in the room and not talking, and the mom is reacting as though she is talking. 
Uh, and so it sounds like she's reacting to the narration and it's really weird. And like, she's basically saying, yeah, I know that Todd didn't do it. And she's in denial and all that. Um, and it's right around. It kind of gave me vibes of that one Renee Harmon movie where the, the voiceover is talking over the people talking. Frozen scream. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of that a little bit. And it's right around there that I stopped watching uh, that cut and got to the other one. Because uh, that one, like, the whole movie kind of breaks if the mom finds out that Todd's innocent too early. I find that it doesn't really matter because she's completely delusional the whole time. Uh, there is really no point where she is aware of anything. Uh, she well, She's just kind of true too. she's just kind of believing what she wants to believe at any point in time uh, and, and just choosing her own reality, uh, especially at the end. Uh, true. Uh, especially at the end. Yeah. The reason I like the composite version better uh, is because I like the the way they deliver the exposition better. They have two gossipy housewives doing it instead of narration from not Dr. Loomis. And they're like, well, that Terry is pretty handsome. But did you hear about uh, or his crazy twin brother, Todd? Oh, he killed somebody in a drive through don't you know? Oh, really? Oh, glad that's not my kids. And, you know, that whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, these conversations actually happen all the time. Well, I don't know that that's not also in the other cut. Oh, really? That would be weird if it was. Because <laughs> uh, they just got done delivering the same exposition with the doctor. But uh, either way, like now I kind of want Gossipy Housewives to deliver all kinds of exposition for like every movie. Do you hear who James Bond is going after this time? No. That's right, Dr. No. It, it sounded funnier in my head. So, yeah, uh, and there's a this new girl in the apartment block, Andrea, who's immediately friends with Terry and her and his dumb teenage friends, who I actually I actually love the teenage friends in this. Yeah, the 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 group of teens are not bad. Uh, no, they're, they're, there's a guy who's, yeah, you know, not even no, not no one's even really a dick. Terry's the worst of them. Well, he's obviously the worst of them. He's oh, fucking well, Ted Bundy. Yeah. There's there's nobody there who you're like, oh, man, I hope this guy dies soon. Yeah, they're not obnoxious dead meats. I mean, this is fairly early slasher cycle, given that, you know, it was made in 83, even though it came out later. Uh, it, it's, it's more later slashers where they kind of gradually make them more and more unlikable as you make the slashers more somehow the hero or the main character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although I will say I did kind of laugh. Uh, when the the new husband got killed, because well we're, we'll get to that pretty quick, because <laughs> something about him rubs me the wrong way. I don't know what it is. Is it that he's a landlord? You know, I bet that's part of it. Yeah, so we've got uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, Terry, his girlfriend Karen, and Andrea and her parents, and the mom and Brad. Uh, Brad being the landlord who is also the mom's fiance. And here's where she announces that, uh, yeah, we're going to get married. And Terry's like, what? Uh, and just so with Terry, uh, he seemed so like insincere in this scene that I actually thought at first that he was a bad actor. But seeing the movie and realizing that he plays both twins, he's actually a great actor. Yeah, I think it's a pretty impressive dual role because they are both very different characters and 
they're consistently distinct as characters. Like you always know which one you're dealing with just from the way he's acting and not just from like the wardrobe. Or 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 the hair, yeah, which is normally how I would have told him apart. But right. you can tell right away to the point where I didn't realize until I saw the credits that they were played by the same guy. Yeah, Mr. Mark Soper. Got, yeah, I thought they just got two guys who looked kind of like each other because the performances are so different. It, it is a really good performance that uh, this guy pulls off. So here's where, uh, where the mother gets a phone call and finds out that Todd has somehow it's never really elaborated on but he has somehow escaped from the uh uh the mental health place and they think that he's coming there but it's okay uh not dr loomis and and her trigger happy assistant are on the way to um to bring todd back uh so the mom just says to terry like hey just pretend nothing happened i don't want to ruin thanksgiving just don't mention it so Terry, of course, because he's an asshole, immediately comes out and is like, hey, guess what? My psychotic brother escaped. You're going to meet the whole family soon. And the mom's just like, oh, my God. Yeah, uh, she's having a bad night, but uh, it's also her fault. So, you know, you don't really feel too bad for her. Uh, so uh, Dr. Berman is uh, the 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 doctor who seems to have, like, developed, like, unlike Dr. Loomis, she is also bonded with him and realized that he is innocent and knows that he's not actually a danger. Yeah. You know, Dr. Loomis isn't a great comparison because for start, she's not even like an important part of, of this story. Well, and ultimately no, because she gets killed off, but uh, she gets it, killed it, off like right away. It, it seems at first, like she's going to be a fairly significant character. Like she's going to be this person who's after him the whole movie, but you know, she's she's killed off like she's one of the first killed. Well, especially in the slasher cut where she's the narrator. Or at least for that one scene, she's the narrator. Yeah, I think it would be just the first scene. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, she's she's actually not that important at all, whereas Loomis is, you know, one of the main characters. Well, and, and she has a completely different relationship. Like, yeah, she's a doctor and she was a psychiatrist, but like she's on his side. Just mm-hmm. completely opposite to Dr. Loomis. It's like, yeah. he should be put away. He's pure evil. Which begs the question, um, if she knows he's innocent, why is he still there? Oh. I mean, there's, there's a whole process. I mean, she, also, she's been trying is, to figure it out. Also, he is very clearly still fucked up, just not a murderer. Yeah, he's lived in an asylum since he was a child. Uh, yeah, it's right around here with that we actually cut to Todd wandering around clearly somewhat out of his element in the outside world he doesn't speak much so he relies entirely on physical acting here and you can tell ah he's out of it like you can tell he's out of his depth i mean you totally would be if you've never been Hmm. like if it's been uh let me see it's 10 years 10 years yeah. yeah he he has spent his entire teen years uh into his early 20s i guess uh, just in an asylum with no real uh, socialization whatsoever. And he hasn't seen the outside world or been there. Yeah, he hasn't learned how to talk to people. He hasn't done... He basically hasn't had a teenage life. Yeah, no, he's never dated. Uh, he's never really uh, gone to any sort of school since he was, uh, you know, like a 10-year-old maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the thing that 
Rob Zombie's fucking Halloween movie theoretically is trying to be about where, you know, Michael Myers spends all this time right from being like six years old until he's a full grown adult where he's just a big, beefy, crazy man. Uh, You know, he's institutionalized, so you're supposed to feel bad for him. But then the movie doesn't actually manage to make you feel bad for him in any way. (laughs) This movie sort of manages to do that pretty well without really dwelling on it. Oh, yeah. Like, you can see how this whole thing just completely fucked up Todd. The guy clearly needs help. Yeah, and it's it's fair that it's fucked him up because, yeah. I mean, he, he didn't do it. He's totally innocent. He's just been living with this his whole life. It, you yeah. know, it's, again, the gaslighting of the previous movie. It's also a theme here. Mm-hmm. He didn't do it, and he's blamed for it, and he had to watch the whole thing happen which is, like, traumatizing just by itself without all the other shit. Yeah, and so, like, one of the things that's weird in the other cuts, I think, is the Thanksgiving thing is maybe a, maybe a little more heavily emphasized because okay. I, I feel like there's this whole thread about it being the mom's favorite holiday and her believing it's Todd's favorite holiday and, like, she always goes there on Thanksgiving and does a Thanksgiving thing. It's oh, in one of the versions for sure. I like it's it's hard to keep track of the various different ones. It's uh, not in this one. In this one, she seems content to just uh, pretend Todd doesn't exist for the rest of her life. But there's a knocking on the door, and <laughs> this fucking guy, the doctor's assistant, uh, <laughs> Terry opens the door and he points a tranquilizer gun at him. Yeah, the, this like, guy's unhinged. Yeah, this guy should he should be in the hospital too, but not working there. And uh, yeah, he's like, "All right, you're coming with me," and all that stuff. And the doctor's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" First of all, this is the brother. This is Terry. Second of all, we all know that Todd's not actually dangerous, so we don't need the tranquilizer gun. So keep that on the down low. So yeah, they're like, "Okay, we're here. We're here to get Todd, and we're here to take him back." And Brad's like, oh, well, hey, I'm the manager of the building. Why don't I help you out? And they go off to go look for Todd. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes to his office, I believe. He, he goes to where... his office and he pulls out this revolver. And I'm just like, dude, what the fuck? Well, my, my assumption is that he is preparing for ter- Todd to potentially show up as a mass murderer, you know, a la Michael Myers. I'm just thinking... He uh, he accepted the whole crazy brother story really quickly, and he's just seems like his solution to it is, a, oh, well, I'm just going to shoot one of my fiance's kids. That'll solve everything. Well, he is like he is her fiance, so he's known about it for some time. and He's probably heard a lot about it. Uh, I guess. Also, I think he probably would know that she would be totally cool with him killing Todd. You're probably right. And so, we do know that she would be cool with him killing Todd. Yeah, so I don't think there's anything strange about this. This perfectly tracks to me. Yeah, I, I still think it makes him an asshole. But Well, sure. I mean, everybody's an asshole in this movie. <laughs> Everyone, like, in any form of authority. I guess. All right. Um, he doesn't get to use the gun at all because uh, Terry immediately comes in through the patio door and chops off his hand with a machete. Yeah, uh, chops off his hand with uh, a can of beer still in it. Oh my god, right. 
Uh, that's that's one of the cover arts or or one of the poster arts is is just oh. the severed hand clutching the beer. It's great, great image. <laughs> and it, it hits the shag carpeting of his, uh, like I think it's like piss yellow shag carpeting in that place. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> and he's the building manager. He's got the nice <laughs> office, right? Oh, he yeah. he runs this place. He owns this place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so. An interesting thing about this, or at least about this cut versus other slasher movies, is we don't spend a lot of time on the kill themselves. Uh, just enough to know that a kill is going to happen, and then we only ever see the aftermath. Yeah, I think it's just that this is a censored cut. This is one of the, the more censored versions. Uh, I do think, though, that it's effective in this one case, because you know they're dead, but you don't always know how, so that... When Terry reveals the body, uh, the third act is just the poor final girl just finding all of his bodies all over the place. Yeah, there's a lot of fun uh, dead body tableaus in this. I, 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 I'm not sure if it's in this cut or not. The severed head. Oh, yeah. That's okay. There. That sounds so good. The, I mean, the, the severed head in like rigged up with the wires. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. here. Oh, that one's great. Uh, yeah, Jackie, just... I think. The, the assistant, isn't it? We'll get to it. Yeah, no, no. The assistant gets killed. He doesn't get decapitated. Yeah, I thought they just found his head later anyway. Oh, maybe. I don't um, know. We'll, 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 a different we'll guy get gets it. decapitated with wires and stuff. Okay. Oh, God, decapitated with wires, that one movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk well, about, we'll talk that, about that in part three. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, this version, we always cut away before we see the whole kill. And then we see like the corpses usually posed. Um, I, I think the cutaway makes that like a bit more shocking and it makes it more effective, but I also don't know what was cut, so it's hard to say. I mean, it's pretty gory. It's got very uh, strong gore effect uh, in the other cuts, as I recall, or one of the cuts at least. Uh, okay. Quite uh, impressive gore effects, like really well done ones, as I recall. Uh, I don't remember if it's – is it Tom Savini? No. Yeah, I can't remember who did – the effects but like quite good for one that's not like super well known hmm. okay cool um darn well it's kind of sad i didn't get to see him then no you still got it for a week yeah that's true did see the aftermath they, they didn't skip on the gore for the tableaus so the next kill is the doctor's assistant who's like He's like smoking some weed out back. Yeah, smoking some weed. Uh, he's trying to lure Todd with the weed. And I'm like, did Todd smoke weed in the mental place? Uh, maybe with this guy he did. Which some is experimental like, therapy. Yeah, which means this guy would be like friends with Todd. So why would he pull up tranquilizer? This guy makes yeah, no, no I don't sense. Think so. I, I think he's just a weirdo. I think he, yeah, I, that's got to be what it is. He's a weirdo. Yeah, so he finds Terry, and he's, like, saying, hey, have you seen your brother? You know what I heard from the doctor? Todd didn't kill anyone, which is a stupid thing to say to Terry, because it's like, if Todd didn't kill him, then Terry must have. Yeah, the guy is not bright. It's, it, uh, it is really questionable how he ended up working as a doctor's assistant. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Did she just find him on the street and feel bad for him? T Terry's reaction when hearing that Todd didn't kill anyone, he's just like, yes, he did. 
Yes, he did. I mean, machetes him right through the chest. Yeah. Uh, some good machete stuff in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wonder if he was doing it before Jason. Cause oh, it, maybe. Because this didn't come out until later, but it's 84. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, when did uh, the first... I mean, the first... I guess it would have been... I mean, Friday the 13th is 80, but it's 82 that introduces Jason. I don't... Or part two that introduces Jason, which I think is in 81. And then, like, I think they're every year, 81, 82, 83, 84. So that would probably put it at either f- three or four, okay. which is around... Like, it's one of those that he gets it, I think. Hmm. I should know this. <laughs> How I, much I've watched those movies? <laughs> I've literally watched all of them twice this year. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Eventually, I'm going to pick a Friday the 13th movie besides the 2009 one, and we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all a good time. Most of them. Uh, next, he kills Dr. Loomis, but we don't really see that at all. Uh, we do see later on just... At some point, I don't even know when, the camera randomly cuts to where she was. Or not Dr. Loomis, Dr. Berman. Dr. Berman. To where she was, and she's just like in pieces in the yard. She's in half. Oh, no, there, I think there was more than just the two pieces, wasn't there? Uh, possibly. It Initially, they're like, or at least, you know, in the cut with the gore, he cuts her in half. She is in two, she is like a top and bottom part. Like, she's the torso and legs uh you know he they, they, does like a black dahlia thing oh cool and then uh now that the people who are looking for todd are gone and the people who are kind of in the way of his killing spree because if they find todd they'll take him back and then he can't play murders on him anymore yeah so now that that's done it's time for terry to take a shower uh and here's this is like the legendary scene Oh, yeah, the cranberry sauce line where where he first he he's like changing out of his bloody clothes. He's like, <laughs> it's not cranberry sauce. Yeah, he just like takes some of the blood from his clothing and licks it. And he's like, it's not cranberry sauce. And then he has this look like he just saw God. He's so pleased with himself. He really loves the line. And he does love the line. It It comes up a few times. <laughs> He practices it, and then, like, he reminisces about it later on. <laughs> it's so good. He's like, yeah, I told him it wasn't cranberry sauce. That was funny. Like, you, I, I've seen characters who are obviously pleased with their own line at some time, but I've never seen a character who chooses a catchphrase, and we see him choose it, and then we see him deliver it, and then we see him <laughs> so pleased with his delivery of it. It's it's a, a little mini masterpiece. It's so good. <laughs> and we see that we see now that Todd has got after the doctor and the assistant are dead. That's when Todd like first shows up at the building. We see him wandering around out the side to side. And he first runs into Todd's uh, fiance. Todd, sorry. Uh, he, or Terry's. Doesn't he oh, first Terry's. run into Terry's like the 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 girl who he's oh Karen. Karen, yeah. That's the one who he meets first, but that's not for a while yet. He's got to wander around a lot first. Oh, yeah, he finds the bodies of the doctor first, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, wandering around outside the building is what Todd does for most of the movie. Yeah, he he's just missing for a long periods of time. That Like, I don't know what he's doing. 
No, <laughs> just wandering, I guess. Another person who only does one thing for the vast majority of the movie is the mom, who's just trying to call Brad all the time. It's oh, man. all the, she wants to do. The, the, the people at the uh, phone office must be so sick of her. Oh, my God. She totally uh, she totally carries out on them. She is like it's it's exhausting to listen to her just as, as it being in a movie because like she is so overwrought about it. Oh, and I like, know. like lady, I know he's there. It's like I'm it's a phone la- operator. What do you think I'm gonna do? Well, and not only that, lady, you live in the same building. Just go over and walk over the there. Door. Yeah, you're, you're you're like two apartments away. What are you doing? Why are you? going insane just walk You're over there the guy i bet you have keys to his place oh it's it's so baffling like she is so detached from reality yeah so uh here we have andrea is babysitting for this uh, milfy lady uh, i think it is jackie i'm not sure no jackie is uh the the assistant uh the the oh. doctor's assistant uh oh, i shit. believe uh, I can't remember the name it of the lady. With an M. Yeah, I don't remember either. But yeah, she's she's babysitting f- for this lady, and at the Thanksgiving dinner, she had asked Terry out on a date right in front of Karen, and Terry said yes right in front of Karen, and Karen just kind of looks at him like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, like he plays it off that it's it's not a date that it's they're gonna play tennis or something, right? Well. To Terry, it isn't a date because he shows up and he just wants to watch TV. Right, yeah. And she's like trying to make out with him and he's like, oh, what's on TV? Yeah, he, he's completely disinterested. Yeah, he, he almost seems like childlike here. Yeah. Like, I don't think he cares about sex at all, actually. No, I it, it doesn't seem like it's really of significant interest to him. It just seems like he likes power. Yeah. He like he likes to control people. Oh, yeah, I be- I buy that. Um he, he definitely uh definitely chooses his words carefully to control the mom, that's for sure. Yeah, he's like got her like wrapped around his finger the whole time. Th- that's kind of why I think she is sort of divorced from reality. I feel like he has sort of uh just it, it's sort of a Stockholm syndrome thing where it's just been the two of them for years. For the past yeah. 10 years. And she just believes his version of reality, which doesn't really fly. It really doesn't. Uh, okay, yeah, so here's where uh, Karen meets Todd outside uh, outside the patio. Mm-hmm. And, and she thinks like, it's him for a second. She, she thinks, thinks it's Terry. Yeah, and she does this whole thing. It's like, oh, we've been dating forever. I want you to make love with me. I feel so fa- so sad for him here. It's it's such a like uh, sweet, vulnerable moment. that He's like... Uh, yeah, I've I've never kissed a girl before. <laughs> He's yeah. like, oh my god, it's not, it's Todd. Oh it's shit! Like, oh, you're not Terry. You're Todd. You're back for the holiday. Oh right, there's the thing about how you kill. I'm gonna go. And he's like trying to keep her calm. It's like, no, no, I, it's please understand. No. Uh, yeah, I feel for him. Yeah. Because so it. Again, like kind of calling back to our previous film, it's it's his moment of uh, seeing uh, the the doctor in the rich house. It's like, oh, the oh life man, he could he's, have had. he's living free. He's got this 
a beautiful girlfriend who is extremely attracted to him. And like, this could totally be me. I look exactly like him. I had this literal life. Yeah, but then but then I had to get that all taken away from me. By him! By him, yes. Like, more directly in this case. Oh, much more. It wasn't yeah. even, like... It's not something that was done to them by someone outside. It was done to him from the other one. Except the thing is, it's sort of also been perpetuated against him since then. Like, he's never been able to overturn it. I Like, I guess he's just sort of remained catatonic for a big section of it that's kind of what i think because he went like completely nonverbal after the uh after the killing happened but he's obviously talked to dr berman about it because mm-hmm. the assistant knows about it the assistant oh, yeah. knows that he's innocent even yeah but he's still just stuck in there because well i mean the wheels of justice who's going to appeal to get him out well the he can't could, but she won't yeah, no, she doesn't believe it. Uh-huh. Who's going to get it? Like, the, the doctor would have to petition. Like, it would have to be a, a pro bono thing. Yeah. But those things don't happen a lot. I guess not. Limited spots. Although maybe it's the sort of thing you could uh, <laughs> you could uh, move up the schedule when it clearly involves that there's the actual killer still, like, just living in his place. Yeah, still, still, especially since he's still killing people. Although, I guess maybe he wouldn't be doing it if it were theoretical at this point, where it's just like him in the asylum, them knowing like, well, he is innocent, so what are we going to do here? Yeah, um, I I feel like finding out he's innocent must have been a fairly new discovery for them. In fact, the, the, uh, the version with the narration kind of implies that, that they found out under hypnosis. That, yeah, that he's kind of finally had a breakthrough uh, because they, they've been working at it for so long. Yeah, so Karen runs away from Todd and goes to warn all the other friends. Uh, it's like, oh, hey, the Psycho Brother's out, uh, so let's all be careful. Okay, well, let's do a bunch of outdoor activities like tennis and shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, they're they're a little dumb. But, you know, they're also teenagers and it is a slasher movie. They can't be it can't be perfect. Well, it's it's kind of fun. Like, again, in terms of this being a Halloween clone, it's a Halloween clone taken out of the suburbs into kind of uh, not not a swingery apartment complex, but kind of just a part, uh, an apartment complex that's decently mid scale. And you've got yeah. tennis courts and pools and stuff. And it's like nicely groomed and everything. So it has a similar sort of similar sort of vibe but with a slightly different context where instead of the the babysitting and stuff you maybe have more people just doing activities so that's kind of just where you want to see uh people living their lives and being uh encountering the killer okay yeah i'm it just i don't know it just just seems like a weird decision to make to do all the outdoor activities while the killer's out but but, oh, well, I, I get it. I get it. Like, it makes for more interesting I mean, kills that can happen. And and there there's a lot of strange decisions that were made uh, throughout 2021 and 2020 and well, 2022. See, this is the thing I always yeah. return to when people say, like, well, I don't know about these people's behavior. And, like, I don't know about people's behavior, I gotta say. You're right. I keep forgetting <laughs> that people aren't actually smart. 
Like, uh, you know, they, they they had plans to do tennis. <laughs> so they're going to, God damn it, they're going to do what? their tennis. I mean, maybe his brother's going to show up. What, he's going to attack them? I mean, what are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's probably not even real. And the, uh, the scary brother is probably just a conspiracy by the left to get us to wear masks and take away our freedoms. I mean, thankfully, none of these people seem like they're uh, that sort of dumb. No, they're no. they're just like you know regular sort of dumb, where it's like, eh, odds. It can't happen to us. We're pro- we're, we're probably fine. It'll, it'll happen to other kids, but it doesn't happen to other kids. Oh, it happens to other kids too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, no, so, I guess it's really mostly them. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, at Andrea's place where they're watching the TV, they're watching some kind of horror movie, and Terry's all like, oh, wow, how could they show all this horrible gore and shit on TV? And I kind of wonder if that's part of, like, his actual ethos or if that's just him acting to, like, you know, draw suspicion away from him. Like, hey, I'm not someone who likes gore, so I can't do murders. No, I think it's literally them uh, positioning him like it's it's them directly commenting on Ted Bundy because this is the thing Ted Bundy did. You know, he got born again Christian after uh, going to jail and he would uh, talk about, you know, media as the thing, you know, he blaming porn and stuff. And I oh, think they're deliberately did. having him making a commentary on that, like to oh, align shit. him with Bundy. Yeah. OK, well, that that makes sense. And yeah, she, Andrea's like gonna make out with this uh, other girl's boyfriend no matter what. And she turns off the TV. <laughs> and that's when the, the MILF and her boyfriend, some John Mulaney looking guy, shows up. Yeah. And they got back from their uh, dinner or whatever. This guy's a real dud. <laughs> Just such a dud. He, he might as well be like the dud from that Simpsons. Uh, oh, God. You know the one. Yeah, I, uh, Dream Date. Yeah. Or yeah, Dream it, Phone. Dream Phone. Oh, dream Phone or Dream You date. got the dud, Poindexter. <laughs> like, this guy is that guy. He's the dud, yeah. So Andrea and Terry leave, and they reunite with their friends where, uh, where Karen's like, hey, I just saw Todd, and Terry's like, oh shit, well, I'm going to go look for him myself. You guys just do whatever you're doing. Uh, don't worry, I'm going to take care of it. Yeah, uh, you guys just all go split up and do all the things you're going to do. Oh, definitely split up, because uh, he can't get all of you at once. It sort of feels like he is coming there to assuage them and like, oh, I mean, everything's clearly cool. You guys just go on with your evening uh, to set them up so he can kill them. And like, they're always going to be at ease because it's going to be him who's approaching them. Yeah, see, that's that's another thing I liked about this uh, particular dynamic where they don't where they think they know who the killer is, but they're wrong. Like, he can red herring himself now. Yeah, and he actively is. Yeah, and I I never really see anything like that before. Like, he can play pranks on them and, like, pull a knife on them and be like, ah, actually, it's just me. But he is the killer. It's weird because he has such a childlike demeanor. Like, his, his development is arrested at the time of the murder just like todd's is even though like he's the one who was allowed to continue developing outside he just decided to stay there so like when he's pulling pranks and stuff and he just gets offended at people for not getting it even when he's like killing people he gets mad at him 
Yeah. And then he's also laughing at jokes uh, that he makes to himself while killing people. <laughs> <laughs> it's not cranberry sauce, Artie. <laughs> or stumbling upon his dead bodies and then like oh my god i love that bit laughing at it like oh yeah <laughs> you guys look at that look at the way i posed you isn't that funny <laughs> oh man I, I forgot that i did that that was fun which again kind of allies him with michael myers because michael myers really loves to decorate for halloween whereas he really likes to do uh thanksgiving displays i guess so <laughs> So back at the uh, MILF and John Mulaney apartment, uh, Terry's knocking on the door while she's getting changed into her sexy lingerie. And she's like, go see what he wants. And uh, we don't really see what happens when he opens up the door. I think Uh, we do in some cuts. Yeah, not in this one, though. Uh, What we do see is when he opens up the door, there's a record scratch and the baby begins crying immediately. Yeah. She just continues putting on her lingerie and then goes out as if the neighbor's kid wasn't ever at the door. She hears knocking at the door again and she opens it up and here's uh, John Mulaney's head just dangling there. Okay, right. He's the one whose head is uh, uh, dangling from the wires uh, from like Christmas lights. Yeah. Leftover Christmas lights. So or I love, early. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love this part because like, she's going to grab the baby and escape and she goes to her closet and gets her coat and Terry's there and helps her put it on, puts it on for her. Yep. And she, <laughs> and he's like, got this big shit eating grain while he does it. And, and I just like that. And like, that's where they cut away rather than actually showing any kills. Cause right. you just, you just know, you know, he, she's going to die. Todd, meanwhile, has broken into Terry's apartment and has found his bedroom with all the trophies. And it, yeah, here's definitely where he's having like his this is the life that was taken from me moment. Yeah, it's interesting that it's been so perfectly preserved, given how much or how little rather the mother seems to uh, regard him. Oh, no, no, this is this is Terry's room that he's. Oh, in. It, it's just Terry's room that looks like a child's room. OK. Yeah, of course Terry's room looks like a child's room. Yeah, I guess that tracks too. I, I was, I'm, I'm forgetting. Like, yeah, oh yeah, it's just uh, kind of minimalist. There's not much of a human touch to it, but it is very childlike. Yeah, it's just got like all these like trophies and like footballs on the wall. He, he's Todd picks up a baseball glove and he's like, "Oh man, I never even got to experience the sacred father-son bonding of having a little catch." Oh, man, he he needed a Dewey Cox in his life. Well, Dewey Cox wasn't in the life of most of his kids until the end. So. And he comes out and sees the mom passed out. Uh, she's been, you know, stress drinking and stress cleaning and just having a bad time of it. Yeah, here's where uh, where he puts her to bed and the mom is like half asleep. Maybe Todd didn't come here. Maybe he just went far, far away, and we never have to worry about him. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, it's weird. I am assuming that she does recognize that it is him here somehow, and that she's just trying to suggest that he he leaves now. It's it like, oh, it, it's that. cool. That's you not just, how I. Yeah. You just go. That's not how I read it before but that's that's how i'm gonna read it now because that actually makes a lot of sense given uh given the character here 
and and Terry is just like, oh wow, I am just, or as Todd rather is like, man, realizing that there is just not only has this life been taken away from him, but there is no room for him to come back. Well, uh, there there's no room for him to come back. Both there, there was never a space for him. Yeah. Uh, she was he he was always external. He was always secondary, and like Terry is going to be the one here, even if he's not present. Yeah. So the the teenage gang uh, minus Terry is all hanging out at Andrea's place, and Andrea wants to make out with all the guys, but they're both just playing whatever their Atari video game is. Yeah, some kind of racing game. And uh, she's just. Uh, She's just so bummed. She's just not going to have sex tonight, she figures. I love her comment here. She's like, man, I miss the good old days. Guys were just horny all the time and only ever thought about sex. And the one guy's like, I like sex. Right, the other dude. Uh, Greg. This guy, man, you know, even Greg's not that big of a jerk. He just likes sex a lot. Tries to sex Karen. He's a basic meathead. Yeah. So, yeah, they go off into the room while Karen and uh, the other friend, Artie, are playing their uh, their 80s Mario Kart. And suddenly there's a scream. Oh, no, Terry must have got them. This part actually got me because they go into the bedroom and Andrea's lying there. And then she gets up with, like, full zombie makeup. And I'm like, oh, my God, is there zombies in this now? And, uh, no, she just pranked them by putting on, like, full Hollywood-level zombie makeup. She must have been sitting in a makeup chair for hours while they were playing their uh, racing game. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, unbelievably good makeup for uh, the their little quick prank that seems to have been, like, I don't know, 10 minutes in the making. Yeah. And then she's like, in the, then like immediately afterwards, she's in the shower washing off the makeup. She's like, man. This was a stupid thing to do. Well, yeah, because not only that is when the two of them come in there and they're like, man, screw you. This, that was, this is tasteless. There, There's like real shit going on out there. We're out of here. And like, oh, I guess I kind of killed the mood and ruined the party. That sucks. Like, this really wasn't worth it. This was a big waste of time. Yeah, true. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. Because now they're going to supposedly go to some other dude's party. Yeah, they're not going to make it there. No, no, they aren't. So the mom is woken up and she's trying the operator again. And here's where she's having like her real freak out. Where she's all like, this is a real, real emergency. I promise you he's there. I I just, this part was exhausting to listen to. Yeah, it's like, lady, just go over there. Like, just go over there. It's, it's closer to you than anyone else. Like, just, just walk over there. It's, yeah. It's, like, it's not even a five-minute walk. Come on. Uh, like, what is the operator going to do? Like, the operator can't make a person pick up the phone. Although I guess this was the 80s, and people still picked up phones. So, hmm. But, yeah, I mean, like, so go over there if you're sure he's there. Yeah, exactly. If you're sure, just go knock on his door. Just leave me out of it. I've got, like, 911 calls to redirect. Come and knock on his door. Come and knock on his door. He's been waiting for you. He's and he really has. You. Where the killing is hers and hers it is. Oh, I wanted to work a cranberry sauce pun in there and I couldn't do it. But like he has been waiting for her. He has been. In, in a sense. <laughs> yeah. 
in a way. With his head in his hands. <laughs> well, ish. Head in the head, head in his hand. <laughs> There's only one left. So we've got some, we've got some bit of uh, of Andrea and Greg playing tennis uh, in the dark, and Terry kind of stalking them, but doesn't really do anything. Uh, turns off the lights at one point. They keep taking turns hitting the ball over the fence and having to go get it. And eventually they decide to just go back to Andrea's place, which apparently means the pool because it cuts to them having sex on a diving board. And this is where Terry finally decides to kill them. He like basically grabs uh, Greg off of off of Andrea, uh, stabs her, stabs him, throws him in the water, and he's like, "You're bad, Greg." Yeah, like he he I I I don't really get what his beef is with Greg. Uh, like he wasn't interested in Andrea. No, not at all. I think his beef was sex. Maybe he Just he does sex seem existing? he does seem to really hate sex in general. Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of what I think it is. Like he he's like kind of decided that one of the things he's gonna do is the whole death to all teenagers who fuck. It's not Actually, even teenagers. He just hates no, it's sex. Not. He Actually, he just hates people having sex. Well, the first people he killed were uh, two people having sex. Yeah, like in the drive-in. And they he left the like he he left uh, the the station wagon because his mom was making out with the boyfriend, which was what upset him in the first place. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's got he's got uh, issues with sex. Yeah, and like we know his girlfriend is a virgin because she mentions that. So like yep. he presumably is too. He's uh, I guess an asexual murderer, like Michael Myers. Yeah, it depends which ones you've seen. Oh, really? Uh, okay. There is, I mean, it's a big plot point in The Curse of Michael Myers. Oh, really? I don't want Michael Myers to have sex. Yeah, you really don't want to have, have him have sex with his niece. Oh! And get her pregnant and then chase her down and murder her after she has the baby. That is uh, the plot of, uh, unfortunately, one of the Michael Myers movies. I don't like the Halloween series very much outside of the first three. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's not what that character is about at all. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he did it because he was being bred by a cult to breed Michael Myers monsters. Look, it gets very silly. <laughs> You must plant your Michael Myers seed into these people, and then when the babies are born, give them the Michael Myers masks, and they too will be murderers. Yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, uh, huh, the 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 series it goes off the rails. There's a reason it had to have multiple timelines. They're just like we have to abandon <laughs> this entire universe. <laughs> We've polluted the water. This universe must be stopped. Yeah, he was right. <laughs> so yeah terry does here terry does one of his uh terry self-red herrings which i just i love that this is a thing he could do where he like sneaks up on uh Artie and karen and grabs their like they're on like a raised walkway and he like grabs one of their ankles on, from underneath it yeah and they're like oh my god it's the killer oh it's actually terry 
who's the killer? But he's Who like, is the killer? Ah, what are you guys doing? Yeah, they don't think it's all that funny. And guess they... And he's uh, offended. He like he's a little child who's offended. Like, oh, you didn't think my prank was funny. He gets sulky. Yeah, he does. He gets sulky. So Karen goes off with Terry, I guess, and Artie goes over to his car. Uh, here's something that I don't get. Todd is hiding in the back of Artie's car. Okay, uh, but he has a revolver, which I thought he somehow got it from Brad, but. Maybe. He didn't because the mother gets the revolver from Brad oh, right. later. Yeah, no, she has it. So uh, there's yeah, two I mean, revolvers, and we don't know where this revolver came from. Did he maybe find it in Artie's car? I wonder. Oh, no, he got it from Dr. Berman. Oh, he got it from Dr. Berman? It, it was. It's Dr. Berman's gun. Oh, shit. Yes. Okay, because in this version, she, she never showed that she had a revolver in, or anything. He just takes it off her corpse. Oh, okay, okay. Hmm, I missed that. It may be cut in the version you saw. Hmm, all right, fair enough. Todd makes Artie take take him to Terry at gunpoint, like to Terry's apartment, uh, where he like knocks on the door and Terry opens up. Todd points the gun at him and then just runs away. And, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I don't know what he thought he was going to do. Yeah, he's definitely not mentally equipped to murder a person. That's not that's not his thing. <laughs> don't don't point a weapon at somebody if you're not ac- actually able to use it because you're just gonna look silly. Uh, source, I tried to do that once. Hey, put the baseball bat down, and I had like a knife, and I wasn't willing to stab anyone, so it just looked silly. Didn't work out. Yeah, so he runs away. And uh, Terry and Artie follow him, and they stumble upon the murder tools. Yeah, and they're uh, bloody. They're very bloody. They're very bloody. Terry takes the uh, Thanksgiving turkey fork. He's and... just been waiting for the moment. Oh, he's waiting. He's like, he's so excited. Artie picks up the machete and looks at it. And Terry's like, that isn't cranberry sauce, Artie. That is, is not, not cranberry, cranberry sauce. sauce. I love that, like... No, he he loved the line so much that he put his bloodied weapons somewhere where he knew people were going to stumble <laughs> over them and then walked with them to where they would just so he could deliver it. Like he created the situation so he could yeah, deliver the line. Just so he could deliver the line. And then he says it again for emphasis. Yeah, because <laughs> they didn't laugh. Yeah, yeah. I don't get why you guys aren't laughing. This is this is gold. It's not cranberries, Artie. It isn't cranberry sauce. Come on, man, laugh. It's like, don't you get it? The next scene is him walking away with the machete, like talking to himself, going, "Uh, "Artie, it is not cranberry sauce." (laughs) (laughs) So pleased. And it's here where uh, where Karen finds Terry with machete. Terry hides the machete behind his back and he pulls it out like in mid conversation saying, Karen, I love you. And uh, yeah, here's where we begin the third act where he's basically just stalking Karen through the apartment complex while she finds all the bodies. So I I guess is the cut you watched, is it missing Artie getting stabbed with the carving fork? Oh shit. Um, He, we don't see the stabbing, but like, we see him just approach with the fork. Sorry. It is definitely in uh, some cuts because I, I distinctly remember him getting it 
like in the neck under the jaw with the the carving fork it's uh, again very good effect oh man i will have to watch one of those cuts then totally watch the slasher cut i mean like it's worth it just to see all of the effects they're pretty impressive and i think it's still the same length oh, okay okay or cool. something like that they're they're both pretty short all right uh yeah so she runs back to uh the closet where um or it turns out the closet where she found todd the first time and terry chases her there and he's about to open the door but then he stops because he has an idea so when karen finally does get out of the closet there's uh Artie posed on like one of the patio chairs and terry's behind him uh just grabbing his arms and like doing hi karen <laughs> he's puppeting him like yeah, he's, he's, he's doing a weekend him. at bernie's it's great yeah uh, and I just love Karen's like saying screams at him like why are you doing this and he's like you're no fun at all. Yeah, he he is still surprised that she doesn't find it funny. It's like I I don't get this. This is all gold. This is great material. I'm grabbing the corpse's hands and doing like a wavy thing with it, making it wave to you. Like you ever seen the Oregonian? It was hilarious there. Why aren't you present? It's hilarious here. It's it's that childlike nature somehow that he is extremely violent, but he uh, thinks it's very amusing and he doesn't get why other people don't. Yeah, yeah. Like he's getting away with it. What's wrong with it? <laughs> uh, something we haven't mentioned at all is the baby. Uh, has has have you mentioned that? The baby, uh, the baby that uh, Andrea has been babysitting. Uh, that's hasn't really mattered yet but it's going to come up now because this is where karen's going next yeah because uh, she stumbles upon their bodies yes she stumbles upon their bodies and uh here's the baby crying so she goes to pick it up and terry's suddenly in the apartment i guess he has mastered the art of the slasher teleport already because um, every teleport every slasher can teleport to either immediately behind you or immediately behind the door that you're going to open well, I guess he has a special uh, home field advantage in a way because uh, he lives That's here. True. I mean, he, he's been living here for a while and his uh, his was going to be a father-in-law owns the place. And I honestly, I also think he set it up this way, kind of like how he set it up with the machete and finding that because she came into this apartment through the patio door, which was unlocked. Um, mm-hmm. This is one of the apartments that he was already in and doing murders and stuff. So he could have just left it unlocked so he could get to it easily. And then he would know that this is the one that she's going to go into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he he's clearly setting up like that's why he's displaying the bodies everywhere. Like he is uh, creating scenes like he he's looking for uh, things to shock people and then like show up and have fun with it. Yeah. And uh I still like the idea that slashers can teleport, though. Just like maybe short, like like when Michael Myers disappeared behind the bush. I mean, they, there there are many situations where the only realistic explanation is that they have teleported because it just doesn't work. Uh, uh, that th- that's just kind of the nature of the slasher film, and most of them are supernatural. It's just that uh, this is a rare case where it, there there is no supernatural element. True. True. So Karen grabs the baby and runs. She's, you know, she's going to have the baby for the rest of the movie now. It's here now. Finally, uh, the mom finds Terry's bloody shirt in the garbage can. 
and I'm just imagining her like looking at the thing and getting ready to confront Terry going, Terry, is this cranberry sauce, Terry? Tell me it's cranberry sauce, Terry. Mom, it isn't. But sadly, nothing like that happens. So she's uh, she has contacted the police also. Uh, this is after she's called the police. So they're on the way here. Oh, right. No, you're right. She she gets them to call the police during the whole operator thing, which I just kind of tuned out because she was being so fucking annoying. So she finally, finally decides to go to Brad's house where he where he's been sitting there posed like all night and she sees that he's dead and she takes his revolver and she's like, I'm going to put a stop to this now. So in the the I, I guess the cut you watched is like the really censored version. I don't know. So in the, the better cuts, she touches his shoulder and the the head which is in the hands is also cut in half and it just falls apart and onto oh, the floor oh man uh it's because like he's got one hand and the the one stump that, that it's it's like resting in and like yeah she he slumps forward and just the head falls apart off like it's it's split in in into oh wow yeah no not at the cut i watched holy shit yeah yeah Damn. <laughs> All right. So uh, back to Karen. She's taking the baby to a pool. and she's, For some reason. For some reason. I even have in my nose, like, I didn't care why Karen took a baby to a pool. Besides that, it can work as a climax place. So have you, did we pass the part where Terry uh, was uh, in the sauna and he stumbled upon nope. the dead bodies? No, nope, because the pool's part oh, of the right sauna. Now. So that's, yeah. she's like just taking trying to catch her breath by the pool and we can see like out of focus terry behind them and he's just getting on the diving board and bouncing up and down he's still having a great time oh yeah he still thinks this is hilarious and fun and yeah that's when she runs to the sauna uh she hides the baby in a cupboard she finds uh greg and andrea in the sauna and it does like the scarecore like when she sees the bodies right and that's when she hides in the toilet and then uh, Terry's looking for her. And what I love is that when he opens the door to see the bodies, it plays it the same scare chord. Yeah. And then he was like, <laughs> he's like <laughs> laughing. Oh yeah. Those guys. <laughs> that's great. Yes, yeah. Man, you guys will do it anywhere. That's, it's such a great gag that uh, they, they do the same scare chord for him to just react with. Like, <laughs> well, that was really funny. Oh, yeah. it's still funny. Oh, I, I still don't it. see why she's not getting it. <laughs> no. Like, so Todd shows up at the pool, too, I guess. Uh, and yes, Todd finally just shows up to do something uh, after all this time wandering somewhere. <laughs> it's all poor guy. All he can do is wander. He's barely in the movie. Uh, I mean, it's tough. You can't have them in the same scene together. Yeah, no, I actually checked and no, they are never in the same scene at the same time. Except, like, right here. Yeah, yeah, right here. Yeah. Um, uh, Todd points his gun at Terry, but, you know, of course, he's not going to pull the trigger. So Karen takes the gun out of his hand and pulls the trigger. And But the gun was empty. Yeah. So, you know, they're dead, but here comes the mom to save the day. Finally going to put a stop to this. 
She's drunk, she's got Brad's gun, and she is going to do something. Yeah, she shoots Terry five times. Uh, Once in the chest, once in the eye. Oh, man. Like, she almost empties the gun uh, into him. Yeah, and uh, he uh, just, his body goes into the pool. Yep, and does the, he's fucking dead. He sinks like Jaws. Yep. I yep. think it maybe actually roars. I, I don't. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, in one edit, probably the uh, blood rage jaws edit. Uh, so the mom is like hugging Todd. Is like, oh my baby, nobody's ever gonna hurt you again. I've hurt you so much. You're so good. You're the best boy. You're the goodest boy. You're so good. Oh, who's a good boy? Oh, you're a good boy. You're a good boy. It's just us, Terry. And, and yeah, Todd, the I'm not Terry. Yeah, Todd's like I'm Todd. I'm Todd. He he lets go. He's like screaming. He's and she like, starts I'm, freaking out too. She starts freaking out. She starts screaming. I'm Todd. I'm Todd. And Karen is watching all this. Uh, the mom takes the revolver and with the last bullet shoots herself in the head. Yeah, Karen takes off. Yeah, Karen takes the baby and leaves, exits the movie. Yeah. And uh, this version ends with a freeze frame on Todd's face with the police sirens going. Yeah, I think that's pretty much all of them. Yeah. um, So I don't know if anyone's going to continue to believe. I think they're going to continue to believe that uh, Todd did all this. Yeah, it's very possible. It's a super bleak ending. Uh, Although, I mean... uh, Karen is still around. She, she can could set she can the vote for straight. him. Yeah. <clears throat> She's got the baby and she knows that he's uh the the good one and she saw it all go down at the end. Yeah. Once things that, have cooled down, she'll show up. Uh, just like that that ending though with the mom oh, yeah, so thinking that she killed Todd. Yeah, oh, and it's so dark. Yeah, uh it, it it's really great. I I really love this one. It's it's a zanier energy than Silent Night, Deadly Night, but it's got that similar sort of like uh, it, it's interested in the psychology of the killer. This one, it plays it sillier. It's a few years further into uh, serial killer dumb. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's clearly influenced by Bundy and the Bundy trial for sure. Yeah, now that you mention it, like I definitely see it, especially since like one of Bundy's main things was uh, escaping from jail to go on another killing spree, which is, you know, what they tried to set up was Todd doing. Right. Although, of course, this is also just straight Halloween. That like that oh, is that too. Halloween. Yeah, um, really good. I really like it. I definitely got to check out the other cuts to see all the gore because the slasher cut, what I did see of it, like when he took the axe to the guy's face, yeah, it he, did he look is... really good. Yeah, he he gets chopped. Uh, it's very impressive. Uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, totally watch the slasher cut. It's uh, I I think that's the one with uh, the the primary. Like I think that's the proper theatrical cut, and then maybe it's the home video cuts have much less of it. Oh, okay, and then this one was like a combination of the two. I guess so. Interesting that this one had the gore cut out. I'm, yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> that's that's. I would uh, have to. I think that's the one we went with. Yeah, I would have to look at the other one and see if I can put up together a theory as to why. 
because I thought that maybe it was intentional just to make the body reveals more shocking when she finds him in the last act. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I, 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 it's, it, I, I have a hard time saying because I've watched all of the versions various times. Cause like, this is one of when I return to every year. <laughs> so oh, it's hard to say. It's a good one. This one, this is one of those slasher movies I could watch anytime. Something we didn't mention is the incredible synth score by Richard Einhorn. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely bangs. Yeah, it's it's really good, um, especially like plays in the drive-in scene. Yeah, it's pretty great, uh, and I I love just uh, the the way the synth carries the movie is, is really excellent. It's one of the great horror synth scores, uh, in my opinion. Einhorn didn't do a lot of horror synth, and then he became pretty well known for like more classical chorale work. Oh, okay. Uh, he also did the score for Shockwaves, though. Which is a, no a water zombie kidding. movie. I saw Shockwaves on TV when I was like 10, <laughs> and I th- thought it was so boring. It's when I was slow. Also 10. No, it it's slow. It's an incredibly slow movie. I kind of love it now, but I hated it when I saw it as a kid too. I bet. I bet if I saw it now, I might. Uh, it's kind of fun. Something to like. It's. It, I. I love a water zombie movie, uh, and that one's got a vibe. <laughs> and it's also killing Nazis. Yeah, they're they're zombie, they're U-boat uh, zombies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, blood, blood rage or slasher or nightmare at Shadow Woods. It, it is a fun one, whichever version. Like they are all really a blast. So if you're someone who's more averse to gore, uh, the nightmare at Shadow Woods cut maybe is the better one to go with. Yeah, because even without gore, like it's still tense. You're still. You're still worried about, like, you still care about the characters. And and you still get the laughs. Uh, you still get just how funny Terry is. Like, yeah. Terry's a very comical character. Oh, man. He's so fun when he's on the screen. Like, this, this actor is great. I, I wish, I don't know why I haven't seen him more. He's in not a lot of stuff. Uh, but... Uh, he he is in probably like I, I was looking at his credits and there is other stuff I've seen that he's in. Uh, he's in the world according to Garp, uh, which oh. is a weird movie that I kind of like. Uh, not as good as the book, but he did a lot of TV mostly. Oh okay. He's an FBI geek in Swordfish, the 2001 John Travolta picture. <laughs> He's also in 1996's Phenomenon as a reporter, also a John Travolta picture. Maybe he's buds with Travolta. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, he's he's mostly a TV guy. Oh, cool. I, I mean, I understand why Blood Rage didn't become like part of the canonized slasher genre like uh, Jason and Michael did. Right. I mean, you you can't make another movie about Terry. No. Uh, but it, it's it's got so much energy uh, and it's it's a really fun one. Uh, I I think it's a, a really good example of the genre, mm-hmm. just kind of at its core. Oh yeah, I mean like the way everything's put together, like everything's put together really well. It's very uh, nicely shot. Uh, like mm-hmm. it's it's a very well put, very well made movie. Like the the effects are very impressive for it being kind of just a weird independent Florida picture. Yeah, and, and like it has like that whole um, that whole dynamic where like they don't know that he's the killer, so he can 
fake the like like the red herring himself thing. Mm-hmm. I just find really fascinating because I I can't think of any other movie that's really done that or tried to do that. Yeah, it's it's a an interesting thing doing a slasher with twins where one of them is a good guy, one of them is a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and um, that he's just totally doing a Ted Bundy thing, completely. And also, an uh, unintentionally great companion piece to Gemini. Yeah, both that worked out. Twin movies, uh, both both uh, not not necessarily both evil twins, or no, I mean, there uh, there are evil twins in both. It's just that's yes. not really the point. Yeah, I imagine that the bomb and Terry had like a weird relationship. No, they clearly have a very weird relationship. Although it also obviously isn't sexual. No, uh, I don't think so, but it's very – it's like the six-year-old who can't stand the fact that the mom's having a baby because cause he's the baby. But it doesn't really fit because he has never been that. Like, there has never been a point where he was the only one. Uh, it, it It's more like – it seems more like he has held her hostage. It does kind of feel that way. Uh, and she's kind of lost her mind over it, ultimately. How many, how many other potential boyfriends do you think he's scared away? I don't know. Like, like, I, I don't think he's killed anyone else, but well, how many relationships do you think he's cost her? Honestly, I don't figure there's a lot because she doesn't seem well to begin with. It, it's That's it's true. already a huge buy-in, even That's before you point. get to the uh, extremely antagonistic, uh, dangerous child. Yeah, you're you're right. You're right because even even when things are quote unquote normal with her, she's still very much. Yeah, I I, I, yeah, I don't want to say it, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, well, why do you think she's ultimately marrying the landlord? Like that's who she's ended up with. It's like <laughs> the guy who runs the apartment complex where they live is who is finally someone who has sort of taken the bait. Yeah, I guess she's not hooking up with medal-winning military doctors. Probably not. Probably not. Uh, so, any last thoughts before we move on to our third part? Uh, no, let's, uh, let's see what else is on the spooky stacks. All right. Uh, we're back for part three, where we're talking about other movies we've watched in the past week and deciding what we're going to watch next week. Uh, and first up, we got together when we watched Dario Argento's Trauma, which I talked about <laughs> briefly last week. Oh, my God. Just the machine. <laughs> uh, the, yes, the, 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 the killer's tool is a pretty impressive device. This little fish wire. Uh, like, uh, it's like a noose. Winch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it just... She pushes a button and a little motor tightens the thing until the fish wire takes the head off. But that must be such a strong motor. A special decapitation tool. Uh, really, so just a zany good. movie. Uh, yeah, oh, so man. overall thoughts. Oh, okay. So <laughs> um, you're right. The ending, uh, the twist at the end, or the killer's motivation, I guess, uh, <laughs> did not see it coming. <laughs> And it's so uh, also did not correctly guess at all the identity of the killer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I we, was, we watched this with there. a friend and like the whole movie was guessing like and just never got it. And 
like the main red herring I said early on, like, and by the way, it's not him. He he legitimately didn't do it because both of you were like, well, he's pretty obviously the guy. I'm like, okay, but spoilers, it isn't him. <laughs> the most beautiful part of a human is the head. I mean, I think so too, but I'm not creepy about it. And And he's also got that awesome framed head. right i don't even know what it is it seems like this weird art deco head that he has in a box like a a light box up above his door you'd think he'd be collecting heads but no i mean he he seems like a good candidate so he's a good patsy Mm -hmm. uh very strange movie uh i i do kind of love it but it's wacky Uh, i love that at the end just a bunch of horrifying stuff has happened. We've had a flashback that involves a baby getting beheaded and it just like goes special appearance by Brad Dourif referring back to <laughs> the most hilarious beheading in the movie for sure. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> like when he gets his head taken off by the elevator because the, the machine uh, got, got jammed up by his necklace by his gold necklace uh and uh it 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 just like pans over and reggae starts playing and it just like cuts to the lead actress dancing on the patio with the reggae band and like this is a weird way to end this movie especially with how crazy cat the music has been the rest of the time or courageous cat rather yeah oh yeah right weird score score is weird like a good good quality score but totally out of place all the time mm-hmm. so uh we have 20 options this week i've been watching movies oh wow <laughs> so without further ado we're well some of these will go through kind of quickly because you've seen them and you know them well first one aliens aliens with Game dollar over, sign. man Game <laughs> with dollar over. signs yeah uh but it was not the game over extremely 80s no it revived the series i mean it had been seven years since the first one they're like hey what about more and more i mean it worked i'd like it um yeah when i was younger i liked it more than the first one now i like the first one way more but i still like two yeah i've always liked one more but i never saw them until i was like in college uh but the uh, the the first one is way better uh and and then like the the second one i do like i i've kind of it's grown more and more on me it's just a really good high concept action blockbuster that's impossible they're in the room yeah and and like paxton is so good he he like really is that was him as uh you know yeah yeah he's so good as uh hicks hicks and yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a good movie. Paul Reiser's really fun uh, as the evil company guy. It's a good movie. <laughs> oh yeah. And of course, Lance um, Henriksen is the android. It might be like one of the first action movies I saw where like, no, definitely not. He's it, like such such a benign evil. He's just a company stooge, but yeah, it, it, I mean that that's that's kind of a, a classic '80s type. It wasn't big before then, I feel. It sort of became big in there. Well, like to me, Paul Reiser is like personifies oh, that type yeah, for he, me now. He's he's so perfect. Uh, he, he is dead on. 
uh, casting in Stranger Things, whatever season that was, was so good because of this movie. Yeah, I think it was two. I don't two as well. I don't think I've seen past two. (laughs) Uh, Next up is The Killing of America. This is uh, one of my perennials. I I would do this one every year. Uh, It's a documentary. Oh. And it's like a Mondo film. So are are you familiar with the concept of the Mondo film? Uh, I don't know if I am. (laughs) So that means no. Okay, so a Mondo film is like, the, the, the big one is Mondo Kane which is like a movie that it is, it's a dog's life and it just goes to different countries and show is it's a very exploitative document of like the most shocking elements of a culture. Okay. This one is doing that, doing an American Mondo film about the serial killer epidemic and the violence epidemic and just the seventies, eighties era where it's, all of the real serial killers coming out of the woodwork. Uh, yeah, okay. All of the footage is real. It has no staged footage. It's just like a complete doc showing all of this crazy shit happening all over America and how they're just at the violence epidemic because this is right at the peak. It's in 81 that it comes out. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's uh, directed by Paul Schrader's brother. Uh, Schrader's oh, okay. the guy who directed Patty Hearst. Oh, neat. Oh, interesting. All right. Yeah. Uh, next up is Prey. Uh, not not the new one. Right, right. So this is one from 1978. It's a Norman J. Warren picture. Uh, kind of weird late 70s British exploitation director. Uh, and, and this one is, there's this vegetarian lesbian couple who live in this British country house. It's very isolated. It's off in the woods. And you you get the impression that the older one is kind of keeping the younger one there. And then this <laughs> fox man from outer space shows up. Okay. And All he's right. carnivorous. And uh, he's just like ripping people and stuff up. And then he just kind of insinuates himself into their household for a while. <laughs> It's, just uh, picturing him with a hat and like reading a newspaper. <laughs> like he he takes on the features of the first guy he kills, and then he oh, just okay. like shows up in their house and like he's very interested in their parrot. Uh, and uh, it's it's it kind of turns into a Tales from the Crypt by the end. Uh, it's it's very cheap. It's quite exploitative, but yeah, it's interesting. Okay, right on. Uh, next up is Scream Three. They could have put a three in for the E and called it Screeseem. I'm kind of glad they didn't, though. It's it's almost surprising because they did did for four. Did they actually? Screeform. That's okay. Okay. Sure. Sure. Fine. I didn't know there was a four. Yeah, it came out much, much later. I have not seen past three. So you saw three in the theater like I did, right? I'm pretty sure I did. This one was no, no, the last one. I, I'm not <laughs> actually no. I'm not gonna spoil who the killers were because one of them is somebody famous that I know. This one is really forgettable. Like I saw it in theater, uh, and I remembered two things. So there's the part where the killer throws the knife at Dewey 
and it instead of uh stabbing him it hits him like it's spinning and it hits him with the hilt and knocks him out i was like okay you're seriously not going to kill off dewey this is supposed to be the final part in the trilogy why like in it ends up with the movie is like it ends with gail and dewey getting married and who cares doesn't seth green even say like hey this is the last one so anyone can die uh jamie kennedy but yes okay jamie kennedy is is the guy yeah that's the other thing i remembered is him doing the videotape like because he got killed off in two so it's a videotape played in the event of a a third movie happening (laughs) that's dumber than i remembered it's it's dumber than i remembered it's a really bad movie (laughs) quite honestly like it really goes off a clip the first like the second one was better than i remember this one was worse okay Next up is Chopping Mall. I believe you've seen this one. Uh, this is the one with the robots, right? In the Sherman Oaks Galleria, just like Fast Times and Phantom of the Mall. Yeah, yeah. Right in between the them. Kids are having their uh, furniture store orgy. Hell yeah. I love this one. This is this a, another perennial. Oh, this one's fun. Such a blast. Uh, very self-aware, like uh, all over... Uh, the walls you see posters for other movies from like other horror movies from the same distributor just everywhere right on uh next up is the monster club uh this is the the last of the amicus horror anthologies they're sort of a competitor to hammer horror in britain okay okay They, they did all of these uh anthology horror ones where they would have like a series of different cryptic tales uh in short form with like you know an uh, a a rap story right okay so this is like pretty late in the cycle it's 81 and it's really corny it's very self-aware uh and john carradine he's he's playing classic british horror author r chetwind hayes who's a real guy okay uh and vincent price uh shows up and bites him because he's a vampire and then he takes him to the monster club oh lovely where they just hang out and listen to reggae and talk monsters <laughs> and tells them <laughs> some stories about the he does this whole very silly long monster genealogy chart where there's humans and ghouls and vampires and uh werewolves or something and, and the whom hum goo and the goo hoo and the ratty and the tatty and the saddy and they're like oh my god and it goes on and on <laughs> that's vincent price doing that yes oh, that uh, sounds amazing it's it's very goofy uh it's also got a bunch of bands performing themed songs about monsters in oh, between sure. each bit as well like uh monsters are okay <laughs> Hooray! Uh, you know that kind of shit. Oh, man. Uh, monster mash at least. No, they're they're all original songs. This oh, was like a hit no. soundtrack. Uh, the the third part is definitely my favorite. There's this. Uh, it's a horror director who goes to scout a location, and it turns out to be this colony of ghouls, and he meets the Hume Goo. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> all right. Uh, Next up is the Amityville Horror, the original from 79. Oh, I don't think I've seen the original. Uh, it's very well made. 
it's it's like it's still obviously an exploitation movie but it's got you know it's post exorcist and it's really cribbing from the exorcist because the hoax was really cribbing from the exorcist <laughs> right so you know it's it's prestige but it's very exploity like you you have rod steiger showing up as this priest who goes into the house that he has played it's so huge and he's <laughs> covered in flies and he runs out of the house puking <laughs> right on but like the the thing that's always been most interesting to me about it is that it's about economic anxiety more than anything else oh okay that, you know they're this newly married couple and he he's the stepdad and his two kids don't really like him and uh he's had to change his religion to like get with the, the pretty religious new wife and they've bought this money pit of a house it's just oh. too much to deal with now was amityville the house that like it was never obviously never haunted but it really did have the horrible murders happen there the defeo murders yes yeah okay and honestly, like the the ghost hoax was honestly part of his defense, which is a whole weird thing. What? Oh, I gotta I gotta read up on that. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, so next up is Amityville: A New Generation. Oh. Which is this from. This one I think I did see with you before. Maybe I I don't know if I've watched I've watched this one with you. I think I've watched uh, 1992. It's time. It's about time. With the oh, clock. The one with the, okay, I'm thinking of the one with the clock. <clears throat> yeah, this is a different one. So this is uh, the next one after that. And for whatever reason, they decided to really tie this one back to the original. And not only to the original, but to the original killings. Ooh, okay. Also, it's a Thanksgiving horror movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it's surrounding them leading up to... Uh, thanksgiving celebration where everyone's going to get murdered and uh it has all these flashbacks to him killing everyone around the thanksgiving table for some reason that's how they've rewritten the murders of the family of real people who this is based on i don't know uh, i wish they didn't do that it's strange i guess it's to make it more fictional uh which well, is probably guess, for the best i mean you know all of those do fictionalize the real like the henry yeah. Lee lucas movie was henry portrait of a serial killer that was intense yeah but that was like partial at least partially fictionalized pretty heavily fictionalized yeah yeah because uh he never killed Otis tool in reality yeah that's right but yeah it's it's interesting uh it's it it decides to create a long lost relative of DeFeo as well, <laughs> which is wild for a guy who is still alive and in jail for the murders. Uh, Jeez. Yeah, weird. It's it's a very strange thing. Uh, it, it's it's set in L.A.'s Skid Row when they're gentrifying it with by putting in art lofts. So it's a bunch of weird artsy types who are uh, being terrorized. Oh, okay. Sure. Because uh, one of them gets uh, a really evil mirror from a homeless guy. <laughs> okay, I love that homeless guy just has this evil mirror. Well, there's a reason for it, but it'll come up really late in the movie. Uh, interestingly, <laughs> oh, sure. it's it's shot by Wally Pfister, who uh, went on to be, I think, both James Cameron and Christopher Nolan's main guy. Oh, okay, cool. 
<laughs> so pretty nicely shot for like a direct-to-video crappy horror from 93. Right on. Next up is Savage Harvest, heading into some shot-on-video territory. Uh, so the, this guy wants to get a bunch of teens to help him clean up this big yard, which is just full of junk. You know, rural hoarder type thing. Oh, know? oh, not just like, hey, there's some leaves. Yeah, no, just junk, crap everywhere. Yeah. But he's also got this bag of rocks that are cursed. <laughs> they're, they're from, they're, so the Trail of Tears, you know. Oh, boy. Okay. So uh, these rocks are all cursed and they have uh, specific uh, beasts of myth that uh, will, you know, anybody who's handled one of the rocks will turn into one of these when the curse is enacted. Uh, because of the Trail of Tears, you see, uh, right. question mark. And then there's so much lore. It's it's in, intensely lore filled and people talking. But then like when once there's actually once they all start turning into monsters and there's gore, it's it's pretty fun. You know, it's it's cheap, but it's uh, better than some I've seen. <laughs> OK, cool. Next is Bloodsuckers from Outer Space. This one's a Texas regional horror independent uh, sort of comedy, you know, sort of a horror comedy. You've seen Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, right? Yes, or I've seen the sequel at least. I'm not sure which. Yeah, either one, I guess. It's kind of got that sort of energy, but more blank and more punk rock. Okay. And more Texas, like weird Texas uh, uh, huffing nitrous oxide while driving around the nothingness type uh, <laughs> Boy. thing. Yeah. <laughs> And it's yep. it's like a Lovecraftian horror where there's this psychedelic alien wind that just makes people really hungry for blood, but doesn't really change their personalities much other than that. So there's still just okay. these <laughs> really blank Texas farmers like, come on over here. We're, we're going to show you. We're going to introduce you to the bloodlust. It's, uh, it's <laughs> wild. Pretty fun. Cool. Oh, that, that kind of sound. That was one thing I liked about uh the Nicolas Cage movie with the parents uh, mm, and the mom kids. And dad. Yeah. How like it, they suddenly have this urge to kill their children, but their personality is the same. Yeah. Largely like, they're still pretty much being themselves. Yeah. That, I always think that's kind of like a neat concept if it's executed well, even if it's not. Yeah. This one's it's, it's heightened. Uh, cool. Next up is night of the seagulls. Uh, and I is, ran, I ran so far away. Does somebody run so far away? Um, it's very slow moving. <laughs> <laughs> the, the zombies are very slow moving. Uh, th this is part of the Tombs of the Blind Dead cycle, the last one, I think. Oh, okay. So the, they're 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 Templar knights whose oh, right. yeah. uh, eyes have been plucked out, so they're all blind zombies oh sure uh, for some reason in this one they they are camped at the seaside village and they demand blood sacrifice every night of one pretty girl and for reasons the town complies and keeps it secret so how big is this town that they're able to sacrifice 365 pretty girls a year without running out? Well, it's only seven nights of the year. Oh, okay. Okay. But 
they also don't seem like they can sustain it because they're like a total <laughs> ruin on the edge of the ocean. They're this small fishing village that's totally isolated because they have to deal with these zombie Templar knights. I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense ever. Okay. Uh, but it's it's about the new doctor in town. <laughs> uh, and and nobody wants to uh, acknowledge him or deal with him because, you know, they've got this whole sacrificing thing to do and he's just going to get in the way of that. Uh, and he doesn't honestly really get in the way of it until (laughs) it finally like is just straight up in his face and then he has to and then he's still ineffectual and then uh, I don't know it's weird because there's a a part relatively early where one of them gets set on fire and it just burns up because it can't do much about it (laughs) okay And, and then they never do it again they're like well, there's just nothing, nothing we can do against them. <laughs> it's like, but did you try fire again? Come on. Like, man, fire is like one of the first things that people figured out. One of the first things we invented. Yeah, I just, it's 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 baffling to me because <laughs> uh, they're so flammable fire. But, you know, and they're, they're slow. They're even on horseback. <laughs> zombies <laughs> on horseback. Are they are they like slow moving zombie horses that lurch ahead? They're just horses. <laughs> okay. Uh, next up is Leprechaun 2. Oh, I haven't seen any of the Leprechaun movies. That's another another series I never got into. They're weird because they're like heavily stereotype based. Like it's the whole point of the series is just stereotypes colliding, especially Irish stereotype, of course. Oh, so is Leprechaun like lost in the hood or whatever? really what it sounds like it is yes uh a hundred percent uh this one is just like there, there's not really a specific thing because it's uh just for some reason he's menacing this kid who runs uh tours to the stars in okay. in los angeles uh but it's weird because it's totally unrelated to the previous movie or any of the subsequent movies it's just a different leprechaun played oh. by the same guy Oh, okay, sure. Uh, he he's come to reclaim his bride, who's the uh, thousand years descendant of some guy he had as a slave or something, uh, as a leprechaun. Right, right, right. <laughs> so there's him menacing her sexually is not something I care for, and there's some of that, and I don't don't oh. love that, but. Yeah, it's weird. Very good gore effects. Uh, There's a part where he has this souped up go-kart that says, I wants me gold spray painted (laughs) on the side. And he runs over a cop with it. That was pretty funny. Oh, man. Uh, I I think I at least have to look up that scene. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Uh, Next up is Spookies. Uh, this one's been in the stack of movies to watch when we hang out together for a long time. Um, yeah, it's it's one I love. It's so goofy. <laughs> so the the thing about it is, it's this movie that got abandoned, and they oh. they just like they they couldn't finish it. They ran out of money, and uh, someone else bought it, and they're like, "We'll finish this thing off." And then they shot like a whole lot more movie, just way too much more movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, 
so you know unlike one of the al adamson projects that are pretty low effort this one's just extremely high effort and it's just it's insane there's so much happening none of these things connect there's so many <laughs> weird creatures it's just constantly baffling it's great farting muck like monsters fun. oh <laughs> they they're they're these you know, monsters made out of muck that come out of the ground. And for some reason, the executive producer and nobody else liked the idea, but <laughs> he was in charge. So he made them make farting noises all the time. <laughs> They're in the movie. Uh, actually, do we need to? They're in the movie. They're, they're staying in. Uh, next up is Demon Wind. Oh. So do you ever see the HBO series The Hitchhiker? I never did, no. This early 90s HBO series that was like Twilight Zone if erotic thriller. You know, like Twilight Zone, but horny and early 90s vaporwave aesthetics. Okay. So imagine if Evil Dead were the Twilight Zone, for were, were the hitchhiker. Okay. <laughs> you know, this sort of weird pastel nonsense uh there's kind of a strange sexual edge to everything uh there they go to in instead of you know the the cabin in the woods there there's just this big empty farm plane and there's this burnt out farmhouse and it's just a ruin from every angle except uh if you go in the front door it's an intact house but it's haunted <laughs> and then the wind is evil and uh it's Fucking, it's crazy. Everybody turns into a monster. You know, like, like right. Evil Dead, of course. Of course, yeah. Next up is The Prey. Uh, also not the new one. <laughs> oh, still. The Prey. How many movies with Prey in the name could there be? I mean, it's, you know, it comes up. Uh, this is another of my really favorite early slashers. This one's actually really early. Because uh, okay. it, it was shot in 79. But it, it's another one like uh, blood rage that just got shelved for a really long time oh okay and halloween uh, was what 77 78 77 so this is pretty early on and they were okay. like it, it was an adult film company and they'd never made anything but that and they're like i mean it's just a you know we can use some of the same people we can just <laughs> go out in the woods it's even cheaper let's let's go ahead and do it and I love it, but it's very odd because it's like slow cinema. It's very slow moving. And wow. it's like half a nature documentary. Like it's extremely well shot and it has all this macro wildlife photography. So it's like it places the the dead meats in the context of the wilderness as them as another part. Like man is another part of the nature documentary. So you oh, see... Okay the one girl who's lagging behind the herd and you know that she's the one that the slasher is going to get attracted to and that's going to attract the slasher to the herd and it's it's really interesting <laughs> neat uh, i'm and, just imagining now here's a slasher you don't want to agitate him <laughs> but you see that little girl over there uh rest in peace steve Irwin. i i'm sorry okay. i did that imitation of you so it's a big you know uh Huge guy with an act, Carol Strachan, the guy who played Lurch. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. You, you'd also know him from Twin Peaks. He's the giant on that. Oh, oh, that was Lurch. Yeah, same dude. Uh, he's oh. also in 
Star Trek Next Generation. He's with Lux, he's Luxana Troy's uh, right hand guy. Somehow I don't remember him there, but uh, okay. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's one of my favorites. Uh, cool. Next next up is Knight of the Lepus. What's a lepus? Uh, that is a rabbit. They they couldn't really make it sound cool. Uh, <laughs> make the rabbit sound scary. So the thing about it is, <laughs> oh boy, you know it's it's one of those uh, animals get big. You know, classic fifties trope. This is all the way sure. in nineteen seventy two though. <laughs> okay, and. It being like sort of a studio movie, like it's got bones from Star Trek, DeForest Kelly in it. Oh, he's got a hilarious mustache, Uh, (laughs) real great trim. Uh, And it's weird. It's also got Rory Calhoun standing up and walking on his hind legs. (laughs) But like, yeah, the the effects are slightly too good to be completely cornball, but they're not good good enough for it to be good like it it feels like it should have been cheaper and it would have been better because most of it's rabbits on miniature sets and they are (laughs) there's a lot of them and they are not intimidating ever even when you try to put fake blood on them i'm sorry (laughs) no no rabbits just being rabbits aren't scary but they have those teeth (laughs) yeah no it doesn't work uh, and then, like, when they have to interact with anything, it's clearly someone in a rabbit suit that's just, <laughs> oh, it really doesn't work. <laughs> but, like, awesome. just the bits where it's rabbits walking around the miniatures and there's really intense music playing is pretty funny. <laughs> right on. <laughs> uh, next up is A White Dress for Marielle. Oh. Uh, so this is a giallo. It's the first one in Vinegar Syndrome's Forgotten Giallo number five, I think now. Oh, wow. Okay. It's kind of a psychedelic one. It, and there, this lady throws a party because she's being kept by this guy. Uh, and she wants to get her friends there to help her out. Uh, but they're all these wacky hippies. And... They just throw this really weird party and everyone's in costume and everyone's being picked off by a black glove killer because it's a giallo. All right. <laughs> uh, it's fun. Very weird imagery. Uh, the kills are pretty great. Very bloody. Scores, you know, jamming. It's, you know, it's it ticks all the giallo boxes. Cool. Cool. Uh, next up is The Fear. <laughs> Ooh, this is a 90s thing. Uh-oh. <laughs> so th- this was a direct-to-video thing in the 90s and for some reason it has wes craven in it as the guys like the main characters i think he's his psychology professor okay and it's this psych student who he, like obviously is not qualified to do so takes several really unstable people on like a psychiatric retreat to a cabin in the woods all right. Uh, and there's a whole thing about there's uh, it's a, there's another Ted Bundy surrogate. Uh, there's 
a couple people here who are obviously on a path to be a serial killer, and one of them is an obvious Ted Bundy analog. They even have a scene where he learns that his mom was his sister, that whole thing. You know that? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. They, 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 you know, they, they do that whole dramatic reveal in the movie. It's very edgy, very 90s. <laughs> Uh, but the thing is, he he they go to this cabin. It's his family cabin, and there's this wooden man. <laughs> okay, like, I, I'm guessing that's who we're seeing on the cover here. Yeah, he is a completely articulated wooden man who uh, he just keeps popping out places, <laughs> and, sure. and like everybody thinks that like people are playing pranks on them. Like there there's one girl who. The thing is, like, they have people who are on the way to being serial killers, and they also have a lady who's just afraid of the water. You know, it, it's it's not a sensible grouping in any way. And the girl is being kind of coaxed into getting into a hot tub. and She finally gets in, and then the fucking guy, pull, you know, the, the dummy pops out of the water hilariously. Uh, and she's like, you jerks, I can't believe you did that. And, I don't know, probably the dummy did it itself. Maybe. Probably. Sometimes he is walking around for sure, and sometimes uh, maybe people are just putting him outside the window to scare you. <laughs> while you're like, boning. Sure. Obviously. Uh, next up is The House That Vanished. <laughs> kind of uh, like the plot that vanished. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jose Ramon Larraz. I, I'm a pretty big fan of his work. This one kind of drifted by me. It was it was hard to keep track of somehow, even though nothing was happening. All right. <laughs> You've never seen like Last House on the Left, have you? No, I haven't. You probably would hate it. Um, oh really? A lot of sexual assault, and then like oh. the the rapist did the soundtrack to the movie, so it's just like him singing light crappy folk songs during all of it oh my yeah it doesn't sound (laughs) like my thing it kind of seems like something you'd hate uh but you know very influential and this is sort of a riff on that milieu at least like it's woodsy and there's like an abandoned house and it's sort of also a giallo because like these these so a couple goes into this abandoned house to to get it on because for whatever reason he can't like he's he's cheating on his wife and she's like why didn't we just go to my place and like we can't we can't i don't know (laughs) sure and then they're interrupted because some other people show up to have sex in the abandoned house and so they hide and watch and (laughs) one of them's a black gloved killer and he kills the girl (laughs) instead of having sex of course you know it's a giallo of course uh and then you know, they return to their lives and she's being stalked by the killer. And uh, and then it becomes sort of totally incoherent for most of the for the rest of the runtime until uh, it resolves in the way it obviously has to resolve. All right. And uh, last up is Devil Rider. It's a Western slasher. Ooh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> it's, it's a good concept it's uh no budget like it's not quite shot on video but like it's barely above it oh wow okay okay and it's more western 
themed and not really a slasher because he really just shoots people. Oh. He, he's indestructible, though, and he does just go on a massacre all the time. Like, that's his whole thing. He just kills anybody who's on his land. I but, don't know. Something about a slasher using a gun. I know, right? Yeah. Doesn't like, feel right. Especially if he's invincible. He can just... It's too powerful. It's it's not right. It's it's and it's kind of lame. Uh, I I mean it's sort of interesting in the original Old West section because it seems like he's just this crazed gunman, and he's, mm-hmm. you know, blowing people away, and he's also sometimes using a sword. So there's a sword too, or you know. Okay, well. You, you know, saber. With a sword. Yeah, so there's just some of that. There is some actual slashing, or stabbing, or whatever. But uh, they catch him. And they hang him, and then he's just hanging and laughing at them because he's like, you can't kill me. And they're, like, shooting him a bunch, and he's still hanging there laughing at them. Uh, And then I guess they just go away, and it shows a hand reaching up to the noose and him getting away, and it just shows a hundred years later. (laughs) Okay. And then it's just some people who go to live on this farm, and uh, they're all, you know— killed by him because he shows up and he you know shoots most of them except you know sort of like a slasher and he is absolutely teleporting and you know it's it's you know it's it's cheap it's super super no budget all right well okay then (laughs) so those are our 20 examples this week what do you figure um well i want to see what this uh spookies is all about like somebody else finishing somebody else's film i don't know if i've ever seen that before all right it is a blast you i mean you uh, maybe no i guess you haven't seen any of the al adamson ones where he did it a little lower effort than, than uh, oh this. yeah um right <clears throat> al adamson will sometimes he did it a few times there's that uh, filipino uh caveman movie that he made into a vampire movie in space <laughs> What a oh, legend. Al Adamson. So, for our main picture, what do you figure? Not a lot of movement around here, nothing really to speak of. We do have, of course, A Snake of June, which is the uh, replacement for Gemini. This is the next one in the Solid Nightmares box. Okay. Uh, from my understanding, it's a Tsukamoto erotic thriller type. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, also on there is Don't Go in the Woods, which is one of my other favorite slashers. Uh, it's like, again, raw materials, uh, crazed giant slasher guy in the woods. Like Prey, it's just, what if incredibly goofy? All right. Uh, also of uh, note, I, I've been meaning to talk about 16 Tongues because I, I want to talk about the title of 16 Tongues. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah. What is 16 tongues? So it's uh, it's about this guy who's a paranormal detective, I guess. And he's staying in a hotel with a bunch of really zany people with crazy backstories like his own, where uh, he was in a terrorist explosion and he lost a lot of the skin on his body. Okay. So these 16 people who died in the explosion uh he got a skin graft using all of their tongue meat. <laughs> what? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what can you say? I mean, like, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's not, 
not much to say. Yeah, so what do we want to do uh, next week? There's, oh man, there's a lot. Oh man, there's so many on here. Uh, now let's, I was thinking finishing Yokai War, but I want to do something that's not on one of our regular stacks. Yeah, it's a good call. Yeah. We could do that anytime. And exactly. it's not that long ago that we did Along with Ghosts. True, it isn't. I just, yeah. It just wasn't much of a yokai movie. Not really. Ooh. Oh, oh, oh. How many more days till Halloween? I do uh, have Halloween 3 on there because I watched <laughs> Halloween 2 a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's, at the time of recording, 11 more days till Halloween. It is. Uh, I mean, hey, I'm always up to watch Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. It is my second favorite in the series after the first. Hell yeah, let's do Halloween 3. We can't, we gotta do a Halloween movie on Halloween month. It's uh, true. Maybe we don't have to, because some of them are pretty rough, but... <laughs> some of them are also really funny, the later ones. Five really cracked me up this time <laughs> through. We, we kind of got to do that one at some point. All right. <laughs> but all right, so then next week we'll be doing Halloween 3, The Season of the Witch. Uh, and what was the other one? <laughs> uh, spookies. The Spookies. Oh, I'm so excited to talk Spookies. I'm totally going to watch the uh, feature-length documentary on the making of Spookies uh, before we exchange. Oh, that, that sounds fun, too. Yeah. Sounds like a hell of a story there. Yeah, I, I I have to imagine. It sounds like just a weird, weird production altogether. Cool. All right. Uh, well, any last thoughts before we close for this week? Uh, yeah. Um, I definitely haven't been replaced by my evil twin. Show no. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I choose to believe it. Oh, cool. It works. Uh, against my better judgment. All right. Well, uh, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. And uh, 11 more days till Halloween. Silver Shamrock. Shamrock.